Racing Radio. This is Monday night, August the 28th, and uh, we are here for our Daytona 2 NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Jay? Jay, can you hear me? Hello, Jay. Jay, can you hear me? I'm going to try to call back on a different number here. And we are on air here at Bam for Racing Radio. Uh, thank you for bearing with us through some technical difficulties. Jay, can you hear me? Okay. I think I'm on air. Uh, okay. I'm going to go ahead and talk. Hopefully Jay can hear me and everybody else can too. In our first half hour, we are going to start with short track news and review the Arca Menards and Arca East Series race at the Milwaukee Mile. Uh, And we'll include a brief Arca West update. During the second half hour, we're going to comment on the media interview with the NASCAR Truck Series winner, Grant Infinger, driver of the number 23 GMS Racing Chevrolet. Afterward, we will review the NASCAR Truck Series race at Milwaukee. Then we're going to review the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series race and the NASCAR Cup Series season finale that took place out at Daytona International Speedway this past weekend. And, of course, we end our episode with our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our fan for racing crew. Joining us for tonight's show is the co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I think we got all the bugs worked out now. Uh, I'm just excited. <laughs> so. We talked about what Daytona would bring in this weekend for the Cup Series. It set their playoff field for the Xfinity Series, bunched it up a little bit, and then the truck race, second race of their round of three, uh, setting up for an exciting race going into Kansas now. So it was a great weekend of racing. It was indeed, and uh, definitely looking forward to talking about it uh, throughout the evening here today. Uh, let's go ahead and get started uh, with some short track news, though. I'm going to start over at Racing America uh, with some of the information there. Um Cole Butcher goes back-to-back for the Golden Oxford 250 win. So uh, that was the race's 50th running on Sunday night, and it was Cole Butcher going back-to-back there. Oxford 250 is one of the big races. It was, and it was some good racing, uh, some hard racing. I know there were some uh, hurt feelings or ruffled feathers, I think, is how the article on short track scene. When we get over there, we'll talk about it, but... Uh, Cole Butcher did come out as the winner. 
that's right. And Renfrew was a little bit frustrated with him uh, following an early Oxford 250 incident. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can read all about that over at uh, Racing America. I'm going to go ahead and move over to uh, Flow Racing um, and look at some of the headlines that are there. Um, with Hudson O'Neill rises late and nabbed $50,000 at Port Royal Speedway this past weekend. So uh, that had to be a pretty good day for uh, Hudson O'Neill. That one, unfortunately, I had to follow along on my race pass and flow racing as I was also at a track working, but it certainly sounded like an exciting race there. Also, Justin Grant grabs the richest Indiana sprint car win in USAC SmackDown sweep. Uh, so a big day for Justin Grant as well. Speaking of sprint cars, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to appear at Lernerville High Limit Sprint Car Race. Sprint cars, uh, talk about that one of the highest Indian, or richest Indiana sprint car win. Uh, they've been having some big money shows as of recent here, too, uh, kind of making a build. I know Kyle Larson and Brad Sweet really pushing one of their series, um, trying to build it up. Uh, that is so true. Also, Tyler Courtney capitalizes to win All-Stars Mace Thomas Classic at Butler. And uh, there's also the results uh, as Carson Quapo claims his fifth Cars Tour win after a Wake County battle. So uh, some big stories over there on dirt. Uh, but we've also got some stories uh, over at Flow Racing uh, with regard to pavement racing. Well, I shut mine down. Sorry. What do we got for okay. pavement racing? Well, Kyle Bonsignor breaks the NASCAR modified tour uh, winless drought. He came up with a win this weekend out at Virginia's Langley Speedway. Uh, so that was pretty cool uh, to see happening. Uh, but I want to move over to uh, short track scene because the SRL National had some incidents this weekend, too. Um, Bubba Pollard actually protested that SRL National race halfway through the Twin 75s, and uh, uh, he was disputing uh, an issue between Jeremy Doss, uh, who suffered a loss of air pressure in his right front in turn one and came to a spot stop with sparks coming from beneath the 44. Doss even drifted up into Thorn in the previous corner as the cars started to bottom out. Uh, they came out, they checked on him, uh, and they decided they permitted Doss to take a scuffed right front and restart at the tail end of the lead lap in eighth place. Um, and uh, a couple of cars got tangled in front of Doss on that restart, and it quickly moved him up to fourth place. Uh, and uh, at the time, Paul challenging toward Thorne, but that incident allowed Doss to catch the leaders and he would take the lead coming to the white line. Pollard was not happy and did not race the second twin race. So uh, a little bit of controversy um, in that SRL national race. 
Well, the situation not always the same, but his premise there was what he felt that, and I see this week in and week out, intentionally bringing out a caution. I know the series directors in the track there made a decision that the caution had actually come out for another incident, not necessarily for him. But you're right, Bubba Pollard packed up and left and didn't run the second race, um, you know, making his displeasure quite known. Yes. So um, uh, we'll see how that continues to play out as time goes on here. But, again, you can read all about that. Matt Weaver writes about it over at Short Track Scene. Uh, So uh, check that out. and and uh, let us know your thoughts. Carstor takes it to Wake County Bullring. Uh, so the stock, uh, Cars Tour takes to Wake County Building County Bullring uh, one week after holding its biggest race of the year in Old North State Nationals Tri County Motor Speedway. The Solid Walk Carriers. Uh, the Solid Rock Carriers Cars Tour, tour, try to say that fast five times, will travel to the smallest track on the schedule in Wake County Speedway for the drive uh, for pure year 125. Well, I'll tell you what, I might be a little partial here, but anytime you have the name Bullring in a track, you know you're in for some (laughs) racing action because that means it's a short track and, yeah, some bumpers are going to touch. Some fenders are going to get bent. Uh, you got to love a track with the name Bullring in it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, Carson Quapel is at the top of the point standings. 35 points behind him is Brennan Queen, and then it's Mason Diaz, 96 points back. Uh, and those drivers are all going to be in the race uh, out there at uh, uh, Wake County Speedway. I'm trying to see if I see any other uh, names that we know. Giovanni Ruggiero is going to be in that race. Uh, Ronnie Bassett Jr., that's a name from, uh, we we know that name from previous uh, races. And Mason Diaz uh, is also going to be back to race that race. So uh, an interesting lineup there. Well, and as we go through these, uh, some of them, as you said, the names we, we've known for a while um, running different series and still trying to make their name and their way up through the different levels or to different series. But also some of these names we've started to hit on are ones that Bob Pocker has talked about of the future stars, future NASCAR Cup Series stars, where they're at now. And they ranged all the way down to, I think, 14, 15, and 16 years old. And those are ones we're starting to see more and more on these sites that are being covered. Yes, indeed. Uh Okay, now then, let me uh, go ahead and move over to the NASC, to the Arkham Menard series. Uh, they had a double uh, race, one race, but two different series with the Arkham Menard series and the Arkham Menard series East at the Milwaukee Mile, all racing the Sprecher 150. Uh, I I couldn't uh, post it on the Teams app, Sal or Jay. So I had to send it to you via email. Yeah, I got it pulled up. Uh, Again, we have some technical issues over there as well, but we managed to work through it. Um, 
But there again, another great race. I love the combination races here with the Arkham Menards and either the East or West where it's uh, points in both series. Absolutely. I love that too. And uh, this one was kind of a fun one to watch. Uh, William Sawalich led 141 of the race's 150 laps to score his second Arkham Menard Series win of the season in eight series starts. And as we mentioned, the Sprecher 150 then was also part of the Arkham Menard Series E schedule. And that was Sawalich's uh or Solich's win was his third East victory of 2023. Solich set a new track record in qualifying, bettering Ty Gibbs' previous record by over three miles per hour. Solich's new mark is 125.701 miles per hour, besting Gibbs' uh, mark that was at 122.641 miles per hour. That record was set in 2021. Well, and those two are tied together in another way as Fowler's victory is the third consecutive victory at the Milwaukee Mile for that number 18 team, uh, Gibbs in 2021, and then add Sammy Smith as he won under the Kyle Busch Motorsports banner in 2022, but it was still the 18. That's true. Uh, Jesse Love led nine laps on his way to his second Way to second at the finish. Love was able to pass Sawalich on each of the two late race restarts, but was not able to keep him behind him for more than a handful of laps. Love extended his lead in the Arkham Menard Series championship points to 120 points over seventh place finisher Andres Perez. Now, on the east side, Solich was able to pad his points advantage over Luke Fenhouse in their battle for that championship. And Solich scored the maximum available of 49 points, which sixth-place finisher Fenhouse earned 38 points. That gap now stands at 20 points, headed into the season finale at Bristol Motor Speedway, coming up just before my birthday, Thursday, September 14th. <laughs> Okay. Sean Hingarani uh, matched his career best Arkham Menard Series and Arkham Menard Series East finish in third, matching his result at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park from earlier this month. You love to see that. And another one is Connor Jones, as he also matched his best career Arkham Menard Series finish coming home in fourth. NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series regular Grant Infinger, the 2015 Arkham Menard Series National Champion, took the opportunity to compete in the Sprecher 150. He did that in order to gain valuable time for the return of the Truck Series to the Milwaukee Mile for the first time since 2009. Infinger finished fifth opener of the day's doubleheader, but the experience he gained proved to be invaluable as he dominated the Clean Harbors 175, winning from the pole and leading 95 of the race's 175 laps. I was going to say, we're going to hear more about that because that certainly did pay off. Yes, it did. Now, it was a good weekend, I mentioned, for the former Arkham and Art Series champions. In addition to Enfinger's victory at Milwaukee, the 2008 ARCA champion, Justin Algar, 
won the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Daytona International Speedway on Friday night. And then the 2012 Series champion Chris Buescher claimed his third win in the last five NASCAR Cup Series races with his win on Saturday night at Daytona. I did not realize the connection there. Yeah, that's cool. Then Torini Motorsports was joined by members of the team named Ultra Blue Crew, all-female pit crew for the weekend, led by crew chief and now team co-owner Kathy Venturini. The all-female pit crew won numerous races and led Bill Venturini to the 1987 Arkham Menard Series Championship. Uh, those ladies were well ahead of their time, and uh, it's part of the Arkham Menard Series history as well as the Venturini Motorsports history. And some great history at that. You're right. Uh, definitely what you call the trailblazers there. Mm-hmm. Now, the Specker 150 was slowed four times by caution flags for a total of 20 laps. Once was for debris, once was for the scheduled break at halfway, and then twice for single-car incidences involving first Dale Scher, who stopped off turn two, and then, unfortunately, Ron Vandermeyer, Jr., who also made contact with the turn two wall. Now, the next race for the Arkham Menard Series is in Southern Illinois 100 at DuPont State Fairgrounds this Sunday, September the 3rd. The race will be televised on Fox Sports 1 and will start at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. And uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch because uh, I believe that's a dirt race. It is one of the dirt races that the Arkham Menard Series does always enjoy. Those, uh, obviously, personally, but I think they put on some great races when it comes to dirt track racing. Okay, let's take a look at the race results of the Sprecher 150 at the Milwaukee Mile. We talked about uh, the top five finishers uh, with William Sawalich, uh, Jesse Love, Sean Hingarani, Connor Jones, and Grant Infinger, the top Five. The next five drivers were Luke Fenhouse, Andreas Perez de Lara, LeVar Scott, Jake Finch, and Gus Dean, uh, finishing all 150 laps. Like I said, I think it was a great race throughout. We saw the action really up front, especially following the restarts, but there were a lot of storylines going throughout this race. We talked about Luke Fenhouse. He fell back a little bit there at the end. But the opportunity then for these other drivers, we mentioned several, getting their best uh, finish, uh, recording their best finish in the Arkham Menard Series and the East Series. So that's, again, when you watch a race, it's not just about the one driver who's out front leading. There are storylines throughout that entire field. There really are. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and cover the points report real quick? All right. I'll start here with the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, Jesse Love, as we mentioned, uh, stretching his lead out a little bit now, 120 points above Andres Perez de Lara. 15 races in the book. They got five more to complete. Now, Frankie Munoz has slid back to third, followed by Christian Rose and John Garrett. And then rounding out the top 10, you got A.J. Moyer, Brad Smith, whoops, uh, Tony Breidinger, and then William Solwich in ninth, and Jack Wood in tenth. Now, Solwich only has nine starts uh, in the actual Arkham Menard series. So that's uh, with those victories that he's been picking up 
on these combination events actually puts him up into the top 10 there. Let me see if I can pull up the E mm-hmm. series. Uh, again, the, the, the E series now only has one race remaining and William Sawwich again, getting a little bit of a gap, 20 point gap over Luke Fenhouse, as I mentioned, who uh, slid back just a little bit in those final laps. But you also got LeVar Scott with all seven starts is 43 points back. Zachary Tinkle in third, or I'm sorry, fourth. Tim Monroe in fifth. And then Dale Shear in sixth as drivers that have made all seven starts. With six starts, Sean Hingarani is in sixth spot. I believe that one was due to a forced missing of a race. But Rita Gold is six starts also there in the top ten in eighth. And then uh, ninth is Brad Smith. Brad Smith. And 10th is Jake Finch. Yes. Uh, so, again, um, some of those drivers, uh, uh, Jake Finch only has four of the seven races. Sean Hingarani, uh, Hingarani Rita Goulet, Brad Smith all have six of the seven races in. Um, so the top set, six drivers all have the seven races under their belt. So uh, it's an interesting competition uh, in both of those series. And, uh, boy, Jesse Love is just having an, an unbelievable year. But so he is William Sawalich. And, and when they've gotten to race together, they've had some great battles. I think uh, Sawalich has kind of come out on top when they get to go head-to-head overall. But Jesse Love is always right there. And what amazes me is it's not always about having that best dominant car. Uh, I think the one race, a, a few races back at Watkins Glen, it was he was in the fifth starting spot coming to that final restart. He really knows how to take advantage of restarts for sure. Yes, he does. We've seen some really good ones. And and the race between and William, uh, Sawalich was just amazing. Jesse did pass him. Uh, but he wasn't able to stay in front of him. He, uh, Sawalich came back and uh, passed him back for that lead. So it was fun to watch. And that's one of those where Sawalich definitely had the better car, especially as they started to get a few laps uh, on, on their tires. Sawalich could really turn to the bottom and cut underneath. I know there was some uh, contact, a little bit of rubbing, but you saw in the post-race uh, interviews uh, from both drivers, neither one had any hard feelings. They understood Milwaukee Mile, it's a short track. Um, I think uh, Jesse Love talked about it. He called it clean racing, uh, even though there was some contact. That's right. But they understood each other's uh, uh, racing styles. We talked about the Southern Illinois 100 for the Arkham and Art Series on September 3rd. I want to make sure we also mention that the Mar- Arkham and Art Series East will be racing, racing the Bushes Beans 200 on September 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern at Bristol Motor Speedway, and that is their season finale. That race will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So, uh they will uh, make it official at Bristol Motor Speedway. And then on September 30th, the Arkham and Art Series West will be back in action at All-American Speedway at 10.45 p.m. Eastern for the Napa Auto Care 150. Uh, they should have a few more races left in their season, 
but all of these uh, series are winding down. Well, and I know that the size of track restricts some things, but as the E-Series wraps up with their eighth and final race, the Arkham Nard Series still having four more races remaining after that, we might see some more of these E-Series drivers make starts in those final events for the Arkham Nard Series as their season is done. So I think that always kind of adds an element there at the end of the season. It certainly does. There's four more races for the Arca West as well, including uh, the Napa Auto Care 150. Uh, after that, in October, you, they have the Star Nursery 150 at the Bullring in Las Vegas, and I will be there for that race. Also at Madera Speedway on October 21st, and Phoenix Raceway is the season finale on November the 3rd for the Arkham Bernard Series West. Uh, but look to Bristol Motor Speedway for the season finale for the Arca East. Well, and then just real quick before we move on for the West Series, you want to talk about points battles. That one, I believe, is one point difference. Yep, there we go, 372 to 371. One point between Sean Hingrani and Landon Lewis. Uh, Trevor Huddleston yeah. in third, 24 points back, so could possibly still get back in it over those four races. But the battle right now, one point between Hingarani and Landon Lewis. So it's an exciting uh, race there. Uh, five races left in the Arkham Menard Series. They have the race Southern Illinois 100 at Chiquain State Fairgrounds. September 8th, they'll be at Kansas Speedway. On September 14th, they'll also be at Bristol Motor Speedway. And then after that, September 30th, they have a race Salem Speedway. And then Toledo Speedway on October 7th will be their season finale. So five horses in the Arkham Menard Series. I know we talked about this. I can't believe we have already gone through the majority of the 2020, 2023 race season, talking about four or five races remaining. The NASCAR Cup Series just getting into their playoffs means they got 10 races left. Truck Series down to five. Uh, this time of year is really great when it comes to motorsports. It really is. So a lot for fans to look forward to. All right. Uh, we're approaching the top of the hour, so we're going to go ahead and move on to our next uh, segment here, and that is uh, the media interview that we have from the NASCAR Truck Series winner, Grant Infinger. He won uh, the second race in the round of 10 uh, for the NASCAR Truck Series. Uh, Ty Majeski won that first race. Grant Infinger wins the second race. That makes him the second driver to uh, secure their spot into the round of eight. So next week at Darlington, or not next week, when is that race? They're going to uh, two weeks coming up at Kansas. Okay, in two weeks they'll finish the round of eight and eliminate two drivers uh, from that list. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens. But uh, we do have the interview that he had after winning uh, at 
the Milwaukee Mile, their return to the Milwaukee Mile. And as we discussed earlier, he raced in the Arkham Menard Series race as well, finishing fifth in that race. Uh, so let's listen to his interview. Uh, it's a 12-minute, 31-second uh, interview. Uh, we're not going to be able to listen to the whole thing, but we'll try to get about seven or eight minutes, and then uh, Jay and I will comment after that. Here we go. Everyone, we are now joined by today's winner between Harvard 475 the Milwaukee Mile, Grant Hensinger, driver of the number 23 Chevrolet for GMS Racing. Grant, you locked yourself into the next round, dominant performance to say the least, uh, swept the stages, won the race. Talk about how you're able to do that today in that battle with Hostelar toward the end there. Uh, yeah, we've had a really, really good champion power equipment Chevrolet. I mean, I, honestly, that's that's what it boiled down to. We, uh, I think we were a you know, top 10 truck yesterday, we we weren't bad, just uh, nothing real special. But Jeff's, Jeff's tweaks, it was it was all in the right direction. That first stage, I felt like, okay, you know, we hit on something. Um, still feel like we were a little bit tight in the center of that first stage and, and started using up the right rear tire by the end of it. Um, but then the, the second stage, those adjustments, we were we were pretty much wiped out at that point. Uh, we had given up a little bit of track position there. It took me a long time to get by the 11 truck. Um, but but at that point, the, the second spin and then the last spin, I, I feel like we were clearly the, the best truck and um, able to, to use multiple grooves to, to get around here. Um, you know, coming here, I was, I was worried about it being kind of single file in that second groove, but the track widened out really well. Um, it wasn't easy to pass guys by any means, but um, you could move around. You know, the, the thing was that the guy in front of you could, could kind of watch you. He watches mirrors some, and, and you're trying to roll his outside. He, he'd slide up there, the, the 11, and, and Carson both did that to me a couple of times. But, um, you know, overall, I feel like the, the track put on a great race. We had a lot of fall off, um, you know, so there was guys towards the end of that first stage. I know they were holding on, but uh, I think that provides for, for really good racing. Um, I hope the fans enjoyed it um yeah obviously when you have a truck that good i'm i'm of course going to enjoy it um but I, I think we we did help everybody out with uh with our our pit road stuff it just it was it was very frustrating um our, our guys hammered out two really good pit stops for the first two times but it was just blocked in had to had to back up on both sides both stops and um the last one i, I angled out really well I gave up a little bit on, on entering my pit stop, but angled out really well. And then I don't know what happened. It was just a, a bad pit stop and uh, just, just had a, you know, you know, a little mess up on execution, but the truck was good enough to overcome it. And the, the, the two restarts there worked out, um, able to kind of get through the chaos on the first one and, and went from 14th to 9th. And then uh, kind of got a little bit of help with the choose and, and ended up choosing 8th instead of what I, I figured we would be 10th right there so um got a good restart there feel like you know cut to the outside of the 19 for third um at that point i was like okay i feel really good about this but then you know it it took a while to run down carson and uh and it it was pretty tough to pass him i mean his, his track was really really good those 15 laps he had on his tires didn't really hurt him that bad i don't feel like so um those, those guys it was, it was fun racing with them um, we were both sliding around right there, and, um, you know, it, it was definitely not easy um, to, to get around them. But once we were, I feel like we were kind of kind of lights out after that and just uh, just praying that we weren't, weren't going to see a caution. Um, you know, I felt good about our chances if we did, 
but I didn't want Jeff to have to make that call if we come down through the road or, or not. Awesome. Well, if you have a question for Grant, raise your hand. We'll get a mic to you. We'll start here with Jared or we'll start with David. Jared Haas with FrenchStretch.com. So you clarify, you weren't concerned at all when you were mired back in traffic when you got pinned in uh, during a pit stop where you lost the lead, correct? I was very concerned. Okay. Yes, to clarify. So you're I was very, very mad, very uh, concerned, yes. And then I want to ask about uh, Ty Majeski, too. It's Carson Hostbar said that, quote, uh, his superpowers were taken away. Did you, did you, were you surprised with Majeski, uh, like I said, not? I, I have no idea. I didn't run around Ty today. Um, I think for the last year and a half, Ty and Joe have, have had the heat on these short checks. Um, you know, they, I don't know how many they've won, but they've, They've been lights out the last year and a half, I feel like. So um, I don't, I don't think you take away anything from from that performance. Um, yeah, I didn't race around them today. Um, you know, looking at the speed, you know, from yesterday, I I felt like that's going to be the truck to beat um, from yesterday. But there again, we were a good place truck. I feel like yesterday too. So um, stuff changes and and all that. But but yeah, Ty and Joe are, are very good, especially these short tracks. So. Um, you know, I'm I'm just focused on on our stuff, and and so proud of Jeff for the decisions that he made. Um, I feel like he has confidence in me when I tell him what I need and, and the feeling I'm I need to have, and he pretty much nailed it today. And that, that's hard to do. I mean, you, you go, you're a 10th place truck on on Saturday to, to make it a, a winning truck on Sunday. That's not easy. Um, so, and all the all the credit goes to, to Jeff for those decisions because. Um, we we had the best truck. I mean, I, I feel like we we proved that today. Okay, your thoughts, uh, Jay, about uh, uh, Grant Enbinger's comments? Well, there were several things there that that I want to focus on. He talked about the track itself returning there, uh, having run the Arkham Menards and uh, Arkham Menards race along with the E Series of the track widening out and then having multiple groups. That doesn't mean it's easy. And we saw that between, as he said, him and Carson Hosevar there at the end, having to work around Corey Heim when he got behind him coming off of the pit road. But it at least gave you an option, and the drivers raced with respect. Again, there was some contact, some a little bit of rubbing, but both drivers did maintain and hold on to their vehicles. Neither one was holding a grudge. It was just hard racing. And Grant, I think definitely, as he said, had the best truck. I know in his post-race interview at the track as well, he said, hey, I told uh, my crew chief what I needed, and he made it happen. Uh, such a great team there. Yeah, I liked his comments about uh, his crew chief, Jeff Hensley. Uh, they've been together a long, long time, and uh, I think they understand each other. He talked about the confidence that Jeff has in him. When he tells him what he needs, he trusts what Grant Enfinger is telling him, and he gives it to him. Uh, and and that's important in a crew chief and driver relationship. Um, but I think their length of time together really shows uh, especially at this this particular race, and I've got a feeling we're, it's not the last we're going to see of Grant Enfinger in these playoffs. Well, and there's an even bigger underlying story there. You mentioned the length they've been together. They don't know where they're going next year, as we had the report yeah. that GMS is shutting down next year. I know they're all working on things for next year, but we don't know – for example, if a, if Grant Enfinger and Jeff Hensley are going to be able to go together somewhere or not. But just the fact of, uh, and I'm trying to recall how he said it, 
that, you know, you heard rumblings, maybe the team was going to roll over or fall apart. Uh, they showed their mind that, you know, they had a brand new truck exactly. and they came out and used it. Yes, I'm really proud of that team for doing that. And uh, just proud of uh, Grant Infinger and Jeff Hensley uh, for staying focused in the midst of uh, of what's happening with GMS Racing and not letting that affect them. And it would be that way no matter what. Uh, even if there was no announcement there, I think they would have put that kind of effort into it. That's that's what you need is to be able to separate all other distractions. When it comes race time, your mind is on racing and that race and, and how you're running, and they did that. And truthfully, I know it's not the exact same. It was just an agreement to separate. But I think back to Tony Stewart, uh, what was it, back in 2011. Uh, didn't feel they should be in the playoffs. Darren Grubb was going to leave the team at the end of the year. And in those 10 races, they went out and won five of those 10. You put all that aside and do what you're there to do. Yep. Yep. And that's. And they're acting like professionals. And, and I really gained, I've always respected Grant Infinger and Jeff Hensley, but uh, that's just another example of why we respect them so much. And there certainly are, uh, mentioned that of certain drivers that race really clean and, uh, you know, um, with integrity, whatever word you want to use. And I think Grant Enfigure is one of them. And the second thing, I know, having gotten to interview him here at Jackson when we, he was here for uh, a local short track uh, promotion, he's one of the easiest guys in the world to talk to. He will talk to all his fans or anybody that comes up to him. And it can range from mm-hmm. racing to his pig. I, I know he gets a little jealous. I think more questions get asked about Wilbur than about him. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, pretty pretty cool to see him get that victory and secure his spot into the playoffs for the NASC series. And uh, uh, you know, I, I think Grant Infinger has a chance of being in the final four. I do, too, and that, and that's one of those of, if you want to talk about a great storyline, I know there could be unlimited, actually, here as we get through these final five races, but for a team like that in that position to go out on top, we talk about teams, and, uh, you know, Grant, I think, is going to find another ride next year, but just as a team organization mm-hmm. to go out on top, winning the uh, winning their final championship together would be a great story. It definitely would be. Just... I think it's a great story just looking at the history of Grant Infinger, his Arkham and Art Series championship, um, his tenure with Jeff Hensley, I, I, and, and with Mara Gallagher, uh, GMS Racing. I, I, think, I think all of that is a great storyline. So um, who knows? I might write about it. We'll see. <laughs> Well, there is there is definitely a lot to write about there. Like you mentioned, several different storylines, the way it could come out, um, the organizational history and what it's meant to the truck series, uh, so much that is involved in that one one team. Exactly right. Okay, I know we're a little bit ahead of schedule, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to our review of that race, uh, the Clean Harbors 175 at the Milwaukee Mile Speedway. Sunday, 
for the NASCAR Truck Series. Uh, Grant Infinger, of course, was the winner at the age of 38, driving the number 23 Champion Power Equipment Chevrolet for GMS Racing and Crew Chief Jeff Hensley. It was his 10th victory in 168 Truck Series races, his third victory in 10th top 10 finish this season, and his first finish in one race at the Milwaukee Mile. Carson Hosevar finished second, posting his first top 10 finish in at uh, Milwaukee Mile Speedway and his 10th top 10 finish this year. Christian Eckes finished third, posting his first top 10 finish at Milwaukee. And Jake Garcia finished ninth. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, Grant Infinger dominated and won the Clean Harbors 175 race. Uh, again, the third of the season and tenth of his career. He started from the pole. He led at 96 laps and laps and swept both opening stages. Uh, Carson Hope so far was second, losing the lead to Infinger 15 laps from the finish. Christian Eckes, Corey Heim, Matt Crafton, Chase Purdy, Ty Majeski, Derek Krause, Jake Garcia, and Bailey Curry round out the rest of the top ten. The win locked in finger into the round of eight of the playoffs, joining Ty Majeski in the number 98, who won at Indianapolis. The number 19 of Eckes and the 11 of Heim also locked their spots into the next round based on points after Milwaukee. One race remains before the field gets cut from 10 to 8 drivers. Ben Rhodes and Matt DiBenedetto enter the next race at Kansas Speedway as the two drivers who sit below that cut line. There were five lead changes among four drivers, seven cautions for 44 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 85.683 miles per hour. Your thoughts, Jay, about the uh, top 10 results from uh, Milwaukee? There might be five to 10 stories per each of these drivers when you talk about the top 10. Uh, we, <laughs> we talked about Grant Infinger and, and clearly, but Carson Hosvar in second place, start with him. Like I said, there's a little bit of contact. He had the lead. Grant had the faster truck came up on him and they got side by side. I think in the past uh, year, a year back maybe, we might have seen a wreck there as Carson Osovar wouldn't have been able to hold on to his vehicle or made a, a misjudgment in trying to be too aggressive. He didn't do that yesterday, and I think we've seen that all year, and that's why he's in the playoff position he's in. You mentioned Christian Eckes coming over to the BMR, Bill McAnally Racing Team, picking up victories in the playoffs. Uh, great storyline there. Corey Heim the most consistent all year, wins the regular season championship, having missed a race due to uh, illness. Matt Crafton in fifth. Uh, again, a solid day, but it did actually move him from below the cut line to above it now. Mm-hmm. And then you got Chase Purdy, top finishing non-playoff driver. Uh, I know you're not going to hear a lot about that throughout these these final races, but there's some other drivers that are still out there racing. And Highlight Chase Purdy for being the top finishing non-playoff driver. And then Ty Majeski. Uh, I know we're going to talk about that in hot topics. Um, looked really good early. I don't think he was as strong in the latter half, but came home to finish seventh. 
you mentioned Jake Garcia, the highest finishing rookie. Good run for Bailey Curry. I skipped one there. The eighth place, Derek Krause. That's the driver that came out of the Bill McAnally Racing. I want to say this was his eighth race of the year. But, again, he's looking to go back full-time, get another solid ride. And throughout a lot of that race, I really felt like he maybe had the strongest uh, truck as he made some moves throughout the field, passing cars. He started 25th and finished in that eighth position. Yes, he did. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm really amazed at the drivers that we saw in the top ten here. Uh, it's not drivers that we always see in the top ten, so uh, and non-playoff drivers as well. So uh, really cool to see that. Six of the drivers were in the top ten were playoff drivers, but four of those drivers were not. Uh, there were uh, a total of 33 of the 36 cars still running at the end of this race. Some of them were multiple laps down. 26 drivers finished all 175 laps. And three drivers... Uh, uh, left the race early because of accidents. We start with uh, Josh Balicki, uh out on lap nine due to an accident. Brad Perez and Greg Van Alt got caught up. Uh, something happened with Greg Van Alt's car, uh, and it created an accident. They took Brad Perez out on lap 62, and Greg Van Alt's out of the race on lap 63. So um, not uh, not. Uh, of anybody's uh, nobody's fault I think it was a mechanical issue uh, a tire that went down or something went wrong with Greg Van Alt's car that caused him to lose Throt- control of the car stuck. and hit Brad Perez the throttle stuck okay yeah yep. so uh, I, I feel saw, bad for Brad, Brad with, Perez yeah and Greg apologized to him and, and actually Greg uh, made the comment and in all his racing that's the first time he's had a, a throttle hang like that um, he said it was a scary moment. He felt extremely bad for Brad Perez because, yeah, he was just there when it when it happened and Greg went to the wall. I know initially that's what uh, it looked like was the tire. That's generally what causes you go directly into the wall. But the word came out that it was a, a stuck throttle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um but uh, only three drivers out at the end of this race. The margin of victory for uh, Grant Infinger was 1.5. Three three seconds, so uh, that's a kind of a substantial uh, lead there. Well, and that tells you the the strength of that truck, as he talked about. Because again, with just a few laps remaining, him and Carson Hosovar were side by side and about both spun out. Once Enfinger cleared him, was able to pull away. Uh, I think you know again Carson Hosovar with the maturity he has, rather than trying to be too aggressive and cost himself the second uh, position kind of settled in and accepted that and made sure he finished second instead of anywhere worse uh, in the position he was in. And Christian Eckes was coming there. I think Eckes only finished like two, three truck lengths behind him. Yeah, he was uh, he was in that battle for sure. And uh, like I say, it was a fun race to watch. Uh, you knew those guys were, were racing hard and uh, – they all wanted that victory, but it was uh, Grant Infinger who came out on top. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points reports for the Clean Harbors 175. All right. Corey Heim is actually your points leader with 2,126, has a nine-point lead over Christian Eckes. 
Grant Enfinger in third, Carson Host of our fourth, and I'll get back to the uh, how this will shift in just a minute. But uh, Harsavar, mm-hmm. Hosevar, fourth, Ty Majeski, fifth, Zane Smith, sixth, Matt Crafton, seventh, and Nick Sanchez, eighth. And then we got to talk about ninth and tenth, and I'll come back to that as well. Ben Rhodes and Matt DiBenedetto. Uh, Sanchez setting at 20.59 is the one in A spot. Three points, th- I'm sorry, two points. That math isn't right. Uh, three points above Ben Rhodes in the cut line. Matt DiBenedetto is 20 points back, probably looking at needing the victory, but not necessarily. Uh, depends on a little bit of shifting. But uh, you mentioned it. We got Ty Majeski, who won at Indianapolis Raceway Park, and now Grant Enfinger advancing on wins based off their playoff points and their, the regular season. Corey Hyman and Christian Eckes are locked in via points. So there's actually a four positions available for these final, uh, this final race amongst the other six drivers. Again, the points for uh, the bubble line, obviously real close with Nick Sanchez. Didn't have the best of days. Ben Rhodes, a very rough day. The other one I look at, though, was Zane Smith. Uh, He finished 12th, but I think throughout the entire race and afterwards, according to his words, it was the worst adjective word truck he's ever had. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and this is not the time for that. Um, This is the time that these guys need to be at the top of their game. Or, uh, and we've talked about this before, one of the signs of a champion is the driver who can overcome all of those obstacles, all of those things that happen and go wrong. They're over to persevere. They're able to persevere and overcome. Uh, so uh, we know Zane Smith is a champion. He's the defending champion in the uh, NASCAR Truck Series. So, uh, but it just doesn't seem to be his year. Well, and that storyline, though, what you mentioned there, fits Time Majeski. Knows he's locked in on a, on a with a win. We'll get to this in hot topics. They had some inspection issues and some penalties already. More probably forthcoming, but we'll have to wait and see. They, too, didn't just lay down. They started with the pass-through penalty, got a caution, and, again, the truck, to me, looked strong at least in the first half of the race where he worked his way back up into top 15 to top 10, kind of stalled out there, but you never saw them quit. They separated that, and they went out there and did what they had to do for that day, regardless of where they started. Yes, yes. Uh, and it's going to be – I hate to see that for Ty Majeski because uh, he did so well with the win in Indianapolis. He, I think a lot of people consider him one of the favorites to win the championship. But with this penalty uh, that they found in post pre-race inspection, NASCAR took the car back. They confiscated the tire, took it back to the R&D center, uh, and now we're awaiting to see if there's any more penalties that will be assessed to that team. Uh, not the way you want to go into the playoffs. Just, uh, just what you said there, Sharon, just like Zane Smith, now is not the time you want to have these things happening. Uh, you've worked all season to put yourself in this position. Uh, if NASCAR decides to take points or uh, – 
uh, playoff points, whatever, you're putting it in their hands and it's no longer in yours. So, yeah, you're right. The timing, extremely bad. It, it definitely is. So uh, we'll have to see how this continues to play out. Uh, stay tuned for news. I'm sure we might be talking about it again on Thursday when we do the show on Thursday uh, because by then we'll know whether or not there are any additional penalties there uh, for that team. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this was this was uh, good in so many different ways. Uh, William Sawalich, uh, who came over from the Arkham Menard Series, the guy who won that race, uh, ran in the Truck Series, and I believe this was his debut uh, in this particular track. Uh, well, he raced the Arkham Menards, but his debut with the Truck Series, uh, and he ended up with a 29th place finish. Uh, but he was up there running with uh, the leaders there for a while as well. Yeah, I believe in the top 10 area, uh, maybe even as high as fifth. And I'm trying to remember, I know it ended up backed into the fence uh, when it happened. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. what caused it, but um, you're right. And he is one that has shown when he has gotten these opportunities in the truck series uh, to just run solid, uh, running with Tricon Garage, obviously a very solid team that bring a good truck, and he's making the most of it. Unfortunately, in a case like this, it doesn't necessarily show the result. But yeah, uh, I don't have I don't have access to the average running position. But you're right, it was up in the top ten. Again, being respectful of the the championship and everything else, but he was still running hard. He was, uh, and I was real proud of him as well. Uh, you know, with his Chuck Series debut. Uh, a lot of these drivers that are doing that right now, they're debuting. Uh, for potential rides for next season. So we'll have to see uh, how that all plays out as well. We see that happening in the uh, truck series, but we also see it happening uh, in the uh, Xfinity and Cup series as well. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I know that's one of <laughs> one of the ones we have on our uh, hot topics list is uh, Carson Hosovar. We've been talking about him. Yeah. I've been impressed with the Xfinity Series starts he's made. He made one Cup Series start for Spire Motorsports uh, in the situation involving Chase Elliott and Corey LaJoy. We're going to be making one for Legacy Motorsports Club uh, coming up here at Darlington. So that's definitely interesting. We'll hit on here in about 30 to 40 minutes. Yes, indeed. All right. I'm going to go ahead and move on now over to the Xfinity Series, both the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series raced at Daytona International Speedway. Um, The Xfinity Series is winding down uh, their season. Uh, It's not over yet. Uh, They have a few more races left in their schedule uh, in the Xfinity Series. Uh, Let me check here. I'm going to tell you exactly how many more races they have. Uh, They have three more races. Whoops, I'm looking at the wrong series here. Let's look at the Xfinity Series. The Xfinity Series, I believe it is two more races that they have before they have um, their round of 12 playoffs begin on September 15th at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, First, they're going to race at Darlington Raceway and then at Kansas Speedway. 
September 2nd and then September 9th. Uh, Kansas Speedway will be their season finale uh, for the regular season uh, champions. So uh, we'll see, that season is winding down, and as we get closer to Kansas Speedway, the more intense it's going to be. Yeah, and and this one was a huge one to get through, as you mentioned, of Daytona being a wild card, but that still mm-hmm. leaves two races for them. And we still got a couple of spots there in the playoffs where that that aren't set. We'll talk about that when we get to the points. Yes, indeed. But let's talk about Justin Algauer right now. He won the Wawa 250 powered by Coca-Cola at the age of 37, driving the number seven Hellman Chevrolet for uh, Junior Motorsports. His crew chief James, is James Pullman. It was his 21st victory in 429 Xfinity Series start, his second victory in 14th top 10 finish this season, and his first victory in 12th top 10 finish in 26 races. Tona, uh, he said, I've raced a lot here. Uh, that was his first victory at Daytona, so pretty exciting to see that. Uh, Sheldon Creed ran a good race. He ended up finishing in second, posting his second top 10 finish in five races at Daytona and his ninth top 10 finish this season. Daniel Hemrick also had a good race, posting his fourth top 10 finish in 11 races at Daytona. Parker Retzlaff, who finished seventh, was the highest finishing rookie of that race. And what happened here? Okay, I don't know. My page uh, kind of bounced around here. All right, Justin Algauer won by inches in a double overtime thriller at Daytona. He survived a trip to the rear of the field, a pass-through penalty after the initial start, and a war of attrition in order to win Friday night's Wawa 250 powered by the Coca-Cola family. Uh, the day, the Race at Daytona went into overtime two times. Uh, Justin Algauer edged out Sheldon Creed at the Daytona International Speedway. The win, of course, is his first on the Super Speedway and his first in 26 starts at Daytona. Creed finished runner-up for the second consecutive week. Uh, He's had a really good couple of weeks here, but he earned a playoff point by winning the second stage. Daniel Hemrick finished third. Parker Kligerman, Cole Custer round out the top five. Then it was Ryan Seed, Parker Retzlaff, uh, the rookie, finishing in seventh place. Anthony Alfredo, Greg Galding, and Justin Haley round out the top ten. The pole sitter, Austin Hill, led a race high 36 laps and won the opening stage, but he was involved in a late wreck and ended up finishing in 23rd. There were 20 lead changes among nine drivers and six cautions for 32 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 124.779 miles per hour. The margin of victory, though, was super close. 0.005 Point zero zero five thousandths of a second. It was by inches. And what what more do you expect at Daytona? Uh, we've seen that, and I don't know where it ranks. Uh, I think it was maybe fourth closest, if I remember correctly. But going back to the win, Justin Algar, 
Uh, this caught me off guard. I cannot believe that's his first victory at Daytona. I know there's several drivers we talk about it. Run good there, just don't get the finishes. I wasn't aware that this was Algar's first uh, Daytona victory, so great to see that. But that ties back to another storyline you talked about earlier is overcoming. They had an inspection problem. Mm-hmm. They did their pass-through. And I know Daytona is a little bit different as far as being able to catch the field the way things shake out, but it's still the same, the dedication of that team. Mm-hmm. You mentioned yeah. the hot streak of Sh- Sheldon Creed. Uh, I know Mike likes to refer to Zane Smith as the most hot, cold driver, uh, especially in the truck series. Sheldon Creed has been that this year when it comes to the Xfinity series. We saw him early in the season, looked like a very strong contender week in and week out. They kind of disappeared, but they are back. And that is the right time as we head into these playoffs. And he's down there in that playoff cut bubble. So uh, good time to be hitting your stride, if you will. Then you had Daniel Hemrick, Parker Kligerman, another one, Kligerman. Uh, I know he's announced for uh, next year to run with that Alpha Prime team in the number 48, but having these good runs, really trying to work his way into the playoffs this year. You mentioned the wreck, and there again, unfortunately, that comes with Daytona. Sixth through uh, tenth, you talk about drivers we don't always necessarily see, but this is part of super speedway racing. These guys got some good finishes. Ryan Seed, Parker Retzlaff, Anthony Alfredo, Greg Galding, Justin Haley, and then Jeffrey Earnhardt in the 11th spot right behind him. Um, Things happened. They were able to stay out of the wrecks and take advantage and get themselves good positions. Again, whether it be sponsors, rides for next year, whatever, that is such a boost for a team. And they know these super speedways are their opportunity to get that. Absolutely. Uh, There were, this is a little bit different picture than what we saw in the truck series, 25 cars running uh, out of uh, 38 cars at the end of this race. Some of them uh, one or more lap down. Uh, There were only 19 drivers who finished all 110 of this race. Uh, A lot of accidents in this one. Alex uh, Gannett, uh, had an accident, uh, actually three drivers out with an accident on lap 41, including Brandon Jones, Connor Mosack, and Alex Cadet. Uh Then in lap 42, it was Joe Graff Jr. and Natalie Decker. Uh, uh, Joe Graff Jr. was out uh, due to the damaged vehicle policy. Natalie Decker was taken out by the accident. Lap 45, Kyle Weatherman. Uh, didn't survive the uh, damage vehicle policy, so he was out. Lap 91, another accident took out Ryan Ellis. 90, lap 92, it was Cesar Baccarella. Uh, and J.J. Yaley was out on lap 98. Trevor Bain had an accident, took him out, uh, three drivers out. Trevor Bain, John Hunter Nemechek, and Josh Williams all out on lap 103. And uh, Jeremy Clements out on lap 104. Jeremy's won this race before. I think he was the defending runner, if I remember correctly. So it was a shame to see him go out on lap 104 because of an accident. Well, and you mentioned it, and these are just the ones at the very back uh, that you hit on. Um, Part of super speedway racing, especially Daytona Talladega, is those accidents and Trevor Bain, John Hunter Nemechek, 
and Josh Williams involved in in that one um, running. I want to say second and third, maybe, or again mm-hmm. if they're on the outside, possibly top six, being that they're running three, four wide. Um, but that one happened at the front of the field, and fortunately didn't take out more of the field at that time, honestly, uh, because it happened at the front. But Trevor Bang getting a start in the number 19 for Joe Gibbs Racing uh, was running good. Um, just one of those of not even, I want to say bad decision, but a bump at the wrong time in the corner. And we've seen that yeah. time and time again. Um, so unfortunate. You know, the drivers, you're, you're going 200 miles an hour. You're aware of where you are, but not at the same time, if that makes sense. And, yeah, just yeah. – caught him at the wrong spot at the wrong time. This is a mentally challenging race at Daytona because you have to really be on top of your game and have that spatial awareness, if you will, uh, for all of those laps. And it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy to keep your, your uh, to be that alert for all of those laps. Uh, and it takes a lot of conditioning. And uh, even a seasoned driver uh, can make a a mistake, and it ends up in a big pileup at Daytona. Um, So I can't fault the drivers, but I know that that is one of the things when you talk about a a super speedway race is the mental uh, awareness that you've got to have for all of those laps uh, in order to finish these races. It's it's not easy. Well, and not having been a driver, I can't testify to it personally, but it, it's been around racing, and Sharon, you have as well, to hear from drivers, uh, broadcasters, to understand when it comes to super speedway, you have to push. You're in a box. you you got somebody in front of you. you got somebody behind you. you got mm-hmm. somebody alongside of you, possibly three wide. So you, you really, I mean, you don't want to get up there and push them, but you can't just lift and check up because then you're going to be the one to get hit from behind, you know, and mm-hmm. as you said, it's split second reaction. Um, just the, the timing of it, you know, another hundred feet short prior to the corner or after, and it would have been a whole different story. It would have been considered a great move and a great push that advanced them, you know? So uh, it's just unfortunate exactly. that's the way it goes. It certainly is. Uh, Let's go ahead and check out the points here in the Xfinity Series. Like we say, they've got two more races left. They are. They are 24 races. And this one has been kind of a shakeup here. Uh, Austin Hill, now your points leader by 27 points. And it's over Justin Algar. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek has uh, had a couple of rough weeks right there with Algar 892 for Algar, 891 for uh, John Hunter Nemechek. It wasn't that long ago. It was a discussion between John Hunter Nemechek and Austin Hill for the regular season championship. Uh, Now there's three there that could really battle it out. Fourth place will be Cole Custer. Fifth, Sam Mayer. Sixth, Josh Berry. Sheldon Creed, I mentioned that of him being in that points bubble. He doesn't have a win. Mm -hmm. He's up to the seventh spot. And we'll look at his points gap here in a second. Daniel Hemrick, uh, Chandler Smith, Parker Kligerman rounding out the top 10. 11th and 12th, uh, these are your final two. Two drivers that are going to displace those guys, though. Uh, 11th and 12th is? Well, 13th. The 13th place, because there's 12 drivers, 
in the playoffs here. Sammy Smith has a win, and so does Jeb Burton. Right. Uh, so Robin Riley, Herb- Riley Herb's po- Go ahead. Okay, right, as the points are right now, Riley Herbst in 11th, Sammy Smith in 12th, um, which would be the cut line. But you mentioned Jeb Burton having a win, jumps him in. And then with uh, Sammy Smith being that 12th one, um, puts him in as well. So it is Riley Herbst in the 11th spot that is uh, the one on the outside. And that puts Parker Kligerman in 10th points up on him at 643 over Riley Herbst uh, at 623. There's your 20-point gap. Um, so Parker's still right heavily involved in that uh, cut line. Sheldon Creed has managed to put himself 40 points up, but over two races, that's still a lot, and that can be unfortunately lost even in one race. So hopefully Sheldon Creed able to stay on that hot streak. Yes, indeed. Uh, When they interviewed Riley, I just felt so bad for him. I know he wanted to be in that top 12. He's still got a couple more chances to uh, reverse it, maybe, but uh, not the race he was looking for at Daytona. And he is another one that that talk about being streaky. Uh, I'm trying to think when he started this season, carrying into last season, had a record streak, at least for him, of top 10 finishes. Um, had kind of fallen off again, had kind of worked his way back up, but unfortunately Daytona and a, and a wreck there really kind of derails that. they got to get back on it here in these final two races. As you mentioned, the time is now uh, for these drivers, or they're going to be going to Kansas for the Xfinity Series here in that must-win situation. Yes, indeed. So... Uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting with these uh, two races at Kansas is the season finale for the uh, uh, Xfinity Series Darlington Raceway up next. Um, it's going to be intense. <laughs> I don't know how to say it any other way, Jay. Uh, most certainly, and it's going to keep uh, ramping up. And, and you talk about Kansas is a, is a mile and a half. You want to have a good program with your uh, intermediate level cars. But Darlington is one of those, name of the track, too tough to tame, lady in black. Uh, talk about getting your Darlington stripes. I think uh, for our fantasy group, I said surviving Daytona is uh, one thing. Darlington's a little bit easier, but it's no easy task. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, drivers either love that track or they don't. <laughs> so we'll hmm. see what happens uh, for the Xfinity Series as we head to Darlington next week. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and move over to the Coke Zero 400 for the NASCAR Cup Series. The race winner, Chris Busher, talk about peaking at the right time. At the age of 30, he won the Coke Zero Zero Sugar 400 uh, on Sunday. Um, I'm sorry, on Saturday night uh, in the number 17 Fifth Third Bank Ford uh, with RFK Racing and Crew Chief Scott Graves. It was his fifth victory, three victories in the last five races, uh, in 283 Cup Series starts. It was his third victory and 12th top 10 finish in this season, and his first victory and seventh top 10 finish in 16 races at Daytona. Brad Keselowski, his boss, uh, ended up in second, posting his seventh 
top 10 finish in 29 races at Daytona and his 11th top 10 finish of the season. Eric Almarola finished third for his fifth top 10 finish in 24 races at Daytona. And Ty Gibbs, who finished 35th, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. Uh, Busher uh, led a 1-2 finish for RFK Racing, and Wallace, Bubba Wallace, clinched his playoff berth in that Daytona cutoff race. When owner-driver Brad Keselowski pushed Russ Fenway, uh, Keselowski Racing teammate Chris Busher to the victory in overtime on Sunday night, it was ecstasy for Bubba Wallace and the epitome of frustration for Chase Elliott. Busher picked up his third victory of the season at Daytona, the regular season finale for the Cup Series, but not until Ryan Priest's horrific barrel roll wreck on the backstretch forced three extra laps into the race. Uh, and we'll talk about that as well. Uh, Chris Busher <clears throat> got his third win of the year, his uh, th- th- three wins in the last five races in the first. Uh, Brad Keselowski finished second, followed by Eric Almarola, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Alex Bowman, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Kevin Harvick, and Corey LaJoy round out the top ten. Several of those drivers were looking for a win, uh, having been winless for the season. The re- race finished after the first overtime attempt, uh, again, getting back to Ryan Priest, he was involved in that violent accident that brought out the caution with five laps left. He slid into the grass on the back stretch and barrel rolled 10 times. He was able to get out of the car under his own power, but uh, was put he was put on a stretcher for the ride to the infield care center. Then he was transported to the hospital. It's now been uh, determined that he was released from the hospital and uh, is now home, uh, ready, uh, we hope, to race this weekend. His name is on the entry list. On the final restart, uh, Busher restarted second with teammate and owner Brad Keselowski behind him. Keselowski pushed him to the lead on the restart, and he held on for the win. The pole winner, Chase Briscoe, uh, led 67 laps but was caught up in an accident with five laps to go and finished 30th uh, after contact from Christopher Bell came down the track, hooking Ryan Blaney in the right rear, rear, sending him hard into the outside wall. Both cars blocking the track. At least 13 other cars were involved in that incident. The race had to be flagged briefly for track cleanup. Uh, Martin Truex uh, ended up with a good finish, uh, and I won't get into the 16 drivers that are in the playoffs. We'll cover that with the points. Stage one was won by Martin Truex Jr., stage two by Brad Keselowski. There were 22 lead changes among 17 drivers and three cautions for 18 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 158.389 miles per hour. The uh, margin of victory was 0.98, 98 of a second. Your thoughts about those top 10 drivers? Well, I know we got about 10, 12 minutes here to cover uh, the, uh, the race and the points, 
but you could spend 10 minutes on your winner and the team, <laughs> Chris Busher and Brad Keselowski, Roush Fenway Racing. What a resurgence this year. Uh, you know, we all had faith that Brad, Brad Keselowski was going to make a difference over there at Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing, and he certainly has. You mentioned it, three wins in the last five races for Chris Busher. Um, not necessarily a surprise to see him win, but to come at it like that and really right now have the momentum and got to be considered one uh, going deep into the playoffs. I'll just say that. Uh, Brad Keselowski uh, handles it so well as the owner um, behind Chris Buescher uh, pushing him to that victory. I mean, really does celebrate another driver winning uh, that he that he uh, owns a race team. But, um, you know, it's got to be in the back of his mind. He's locked in on points, so he's also in the playoffs but he's looking to end a winless streak as well, and they know they got mm-hmm. the cars to do it. From there, yeah, then, you absolutely. had Eric Elmerola, uh, Eric Elmerola and Chase Elliott, two of the drivers you mentioned that were really worrying Bubba Wallace, because if they win, he's out. Um, then uh, Bowman was also up there as well as, there was one other one, Corey LaJoy, as far as the top ten. If any of those win, we're talking about a different set of 16 drivers in the playoffs. Or even Kevin um, Harvick. So that, well, but Harvick was already locked in on points, so that wouldn't have affected Bubba Wallace. But if he was a new he winner, he was still, if he would have won, he still would have been a new winner and would have pushed Bubba Wallace out. No, because he was above him in points, though. So that was he was already locked in based on points. So him or Brad Keselowski winning wasn't going to push Bubba Wallace out. Uh, it would have just given them the bonus points for that. Okay. Um, but as as always, uh, you got the uh, other side of it. Unfortunately, you mentioned several drivers that had good cars. Ty Gibbs, Ryan Blaney. Um, Mentioned Ryan Priest. He was up there battling in, in those top 10. Harrison Burton had been running up in the top 10 for most of the race. Uh, so that's the downside of a uh, super speedway racing, as we see each and every time. I'm just thankful, you know, Sharon, not, you and I talked about this. Obviously, the flip with um, Priest, as well as the direct hard hit into the wall, which is a safer barrier of Ryan Blaney, that everybody walked away okay. Yes, yes, that is uh, very thankful for the advancements that NASCAR has put into place uh, because that accident was reminiscent of uh, the accident that we saw with Dale Earnhardt in 2001. Uh, And when they showed that safer barrier and how it gave way, uh, it it was amazing how much of a give. It was at least a foot of uh, giving (laughs) <laughs> from that safer barrier uh, that allowed Ryan Blaney to step out of his car. Okay. Yeah, that's one. Uh, truthfully, I'm looking at the two real quick. Um, I think I'd be a little more concerned with Blaney's hit, as you mentioned, kind of the hard turn into the wall. Uh, not that we want to see anything like what we saw with Ryan Priest, which we haven't seen in 10, 15 years of that violent of a flip and wreck. But NASCAR has really put a focus on the cars. We talked about from Ryan Newman's accidents uh, years ago, the uh, mm-hmm. a cr- an additional crossbar in there. 
So that is obviously terrifying and hard on the body, but the head-on impact that Ryan Blaney took, um, even with the safer wall, you mentioned the give, it's still a hard impact. It definitely was. Okay, uh, we had uh, 29 cars running at the end of this race. Uh, some of them were a lap or more down. Uh, 25 of those 29 cars uh, were finishing on the lead lap. Uh, several drivers out of 39 drivers uh, had incidents throughout the race, starting with Brennan Poole out on lap 93 due to an accident, as was Riley Herbst, uh, Austin Sindrick, and Ryan Blaney on lap 94, along with Ty Gibbs. Uh, all of those uh, drivers involved in that accident, uh, taking them out on lap 94. On lap 96, it was Ricky Senhouse Jr. out because of an accident. Austin Dillon had an accident that took him out on lap 102. Todd Gilliland had an overheating issue, taking him out on lap 131. Ryan Priest, we talked about uh, what happened with him. Uh, that was on lap 155. Uh, and Chase Briscoe was out on lap 56 as a result of that accident. So, um uh, unfortunate for all of those drivers, some of those uh, uh, drivers we thought had the potential to win the race uh, out because of accidents, and that's the way it is at Daytona International Speedway sometimes. Yeah, and not just those, uh, you know, 30-some others that all had the potential and opportunity um, throughout the race. There were several that, again, looked good, uh, kind of faded back, just weren't in the right position at the end. I, I know that's uh, what they talk about. You've got to be up front near the end because we know anything can happen. But also, we saw it in several cases being at the front. That's where the wreck happened. When you're at the back, you kind of got time to avoid it and, and work your way around it. So who knows where you want to be? You just hate to see that big one happen. Absolutely. But it's always a possibility when you're at a super speedway. And uh, we've got another super speedway coming up on the schedule at Talladega. So I hope NASCAR uh, comes out and lets us know uh, what they're learning about Ryan Priest's car. And I would imagine they're taking Ryan Blaney's car to review as well and uh, see what they can learn in both of those cases. You know, I didn't hear anything specifically about Blaney's, but you're right. I, I know they already talked about uh, with Ryan Priest's and look at the footage and, and what they can do. Uh, again, it's been a while since we've seen the car when it turns sideways like that get airborne. Um, I know they've made several improvements to try and prevent that with the roof flaps and the side skirts to try and bring the air so it forces the car back down to the ground. Um, so I'm sure they will spend their time looking at that. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points, Jay. Well, and this is an interesting one because it is the reset. This was the final race of the regular season. With that, we had a champion crowned. A regular season championship went to Martin Truex, and that paid dividends as we reset the points. William Byron and Martin Truex Jr. Are tied at 2036. William Byron gets the uh, tiebreaker advantage, if you will, with five wins versus Martin Truex, three. But that brought Truex up to being tied back for the points lead. Uh, Denny Hamlin is third. Chris Buescher, 
fourth. Uh, Hamlin was 11 back now. Chris Buescher into the fourth spot, um, sitting 15 points back from the leader. Then Kyle Busch at minus 17. Kyle Larson minus 19. Christopher Bell minus 22. Ross Chastain back 25. Brad Keselowski minus 26. Tyler Reddick minus 27. Joey Logano minus 28, as well as Ryan Blaney. Again, Joey gets the advantage with the race win. I thought well, I'm in the wrong wrong line there. Both of those should have race wins. But Joey Logano is listed above Ryan Blaney, so I don't know why he's got the tie break there. Um, then is Michael McDowell at minus 29. Ricky Stenhouse, your Daytona 500 winner, at minus 31. Kevin Harvick, minus 32 at 2,004 points. And Bubba Wallace didn't have any playoff points built up. This is good news, bad news. He made it into the playoffs, but he is the 16th and last one in, has no playoff points, so is starting 36 points behind your points leader. Uh, those playoff points, so important. They're going to be important to build up over the next three races as well. Even if you don't win to move into the next round, if you advance, you want to build up that cushion. Yes, indeed. Uh, to answer your question about that um, uh, tiebreaker, they look at the top fives and top tens, and whoever has the most in that category gets the tiebreaker there. Okay, that's. I thought that was the next step, was, was the top five finishes. I know through the next three rounds, it goes specifically to best finish in those three races, um, no matter what position it be. Um, so that'll be important to watch. And we see uh, every point matters. We've seen it in championship battles in the past. We saw that I mentioned the 2011 Tony Stewart battle tied with Carl Edwards. The wins mattered. Every point, every position matters uh, when it comes down to it. Yeah, that really stands out to me here when you look at one point behind, two points behind. Uh, this is really close in the middle of this uh, pack all the way down to the 16th place. Um, these guys are in a real tight battle going into that first race at Darlington in their round of 16. Well, and I know some fans didn't like it or maybe even understand it, but when NASCAR invented the stage breaks and awarding stage points at two points throughout the race, uh, that is so huge. And we see the intense racing, you know, a third of the way through or two quarters of the way through uh, the race when it comes down to it because they can get those points. And, again, if you win the stage, that's a guaranteed point, playoff point, which you carry through to the next round if need be, if you advance. So it is so important. It really is. Okay, we're coming up at the top of the hour now, and uh, it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. And tonight we have Mike Orzel joining us. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, good evening. Glad to be back. And we have Andy Lasky joining us tonight as well. Welcome back, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. Also happy to be on. Looking forward to it. Yep, indeed. Uh, and, Mike, uh, why don't you start us off with the first hot topic tonight? Sure. Uh, let's take a look at some of the incidents that we had this past weekend at Daytona International Speedway. We had two kind of throwback wrecks, which is probably 
it's, it's bad and it's good at the same time. So the first one we had was at the end of stage two where Eric Jones got Ty Gibbs loose. Ty Gibbs essentially right-reared, unintentionally, mind you, right-reared Ryan Blaney, and Ryan Blaney hit the wall in a way very, very reminiscent of Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s crash in 2001. In fact, it was at the, almost the exact same place on the racetrack. Now, Blaney did hit the wall head-on nearly at full speed, but was checked and released from the infield care center, and it appears that Ryan Blaney was all right. A second throwback wreck, that happened later in the race. In fact, I think with only two to three laps left in regulation, Ryan Priest was turned along the back straightaway. His car was upside down 11 different times, including four rotations and a single break with the ground. All the driver commentators, Kyle Petty, Dale Jarrett, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Burton all said that this wreck was reminiscent of a wreck that you would see in the 70s or 80s where cars would get airborne and flip violently. Ryan Priest was taken to Halifax Medical Center after the Daytona race. However, he was released the next morning, and he is currently on the entry list for the, uh, the Darlington race this weekend. According to Bob Pockers, Ryan, Ryan Priest does have a follow-up doctor's appointment this week that will determine whether he is fully cleared or not. But Two very, very scary wrecks, and it appears that both drivers were okay, uh, or at least far, far better off than they could have been, and how other drivers have been having experienced similar crashes in the past. So the big question on this is, what's everyone's take on this? Is it just the cost of doing business with the races, or is there something that should be done? Okay, Andy? It's a valid question. You know, certainly... um you know, we saw some, as Mike already mentioned, some crazy wrecks. Two of them in particular, the Blaney and Priest wrecks, were um, were just violent hits. You know, Blaney's wreck looked almost identical to Dale Sr.'s from 2001. Uh, thankfully, he's okay. Ryan Priest's car, you know, that flip, I, I, man, I don't know. I've been watching this sport for 22 years now, and it's hard to think of too many other wrecks that were close to that one. I mean, there's been some bad ones. We all remember the Ryan Newman incident, Michael McDowell at Texas um, several years ago. So there's some that come to mind that were bad. There's been some bad ones at Watkins Glen, but maybe that, that wreck right there is probably one of the top five worst that I've seen in 22 years. Um, but is there anything that can be done? I I think the only real way to prevent these, these types of wrecks from happening is to stop racing at Daytona and Talladega. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, I mean, as long as there's NASCAR racing, there will be racing at Daytona. They're not going to take the racing away from those, those venues. So I think it's just a product of super speedway racing. They've obviously worked hard to make the cars a lot safer and, and they've reduced the horsepower and slowed them down. Um, if you slow them down too much more, I, 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 I'm not really sure that's the answer because, you know, we saw some pretty scary wrecks back in the eighties, which is what prompted the, uh, the advent of the restrictor plate or reduced, you know, reduced horsepower and speeds. And, and that hasn't really fixed it. But I, I think what it has done is it has reduced the frequency of nasty wrecks like that. It's not going to fully prevent them. The only way to prevent them is to not race. But I, I think that we have seen a steady decline in, in wrecks that are that bad. And unfortunately, you know, we just happen to have, you know, a couple rare incidents on uh, on Saturday night. Um, but they could race another 400 miles tomorrow and, and not have that happen. I, I just think that, 
you know, certainly a couple high-profile wrecks right there for sure. But um, I don't know. I, I don't think you're going to do anything to really prevent it. I, I do think we have to look at how far the sport's come and how far the cars have come. I think if those two wrecks happened 20 years ago, um, both those drivers would probably be in the hospital or worse. So we have to be thankful that they were both able to, you know, Blaney was able to get out and give an interview. Priest was able to get out under his own power. And although he went to the hospital, he was able to fly home the next day. So that I think in itself tells you how safe the cars are. And, and I think that, you know, it's just, it, it's a product of super speedway racing. And I think that, a, a driver has to assume that risk every time they climb into a race car at, at a racetrack like that. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, we had kind of already talked about this. Are you going to prevent it? No, uh, other than, as Andy mentioned, not race on those tracks. But we've also seen some nasty ones on, a, on a road courses, um, some other tracks. So the, the thing NASCAR needs to do is try and minimize them um, less frequent, as well as then work on the safety of when they happen. And I think that has to be what is highlighted here. Uh, you talk about the Ryan Blaney one. I want to compare it to, uh, to Dale Earnhardt's. We have the Hans device. We have the uh, safer barrier, which uh, Sharon and I talked about just huge. That is one of those, if you slow down and watch that and watch the ripple and the give in the safer barrier to understand how much that takes away from it. Still, obviously, a hard hit, and you want to see Ryan Blaney be able to get out of that car, which he did, um, and, and even get cleared right away at the uh, infield medical center. Um, Ryan Priest's, that is one I, I think, obviously, and NASCAR has the engineers and, and people to work on this. There can still be improvements to continue to minimize that from happening. I know Larry McReynolds went off on Race Hub. His whole opinion on grass anywhere near a racetrack is, is what should be eliminated. Uh, I don't know that that would have been any better or worse in this particular case. I know you, you can't slow down as much on grass because if your tires are on the ground, you can brake and try and bring the friction, whereas on grass you don't have that. Um, but once the car is airborne, I, th I think it's more of, again, the focus. And, and I know when I first watched it, we saw that under panel cover the entire bottom of the car. And that made me wonder if that was a good or bad thing when it comes to the car getting airborne. The one good thing that we saw, though, uh, from, my, from my perspective, was the car as a whole stayed together. We didn't see parts and pieces flying out, anything from underneath. The tires were still uh, attached with the, with the tethers they have. So I think that's one thing um, that has been a great improvement. Um, and again, it's been, it was what, one day before he was released. Uh, actually, what, from what I saw, he doesn't even necessarily have to have the follow-up visit to be cleared for this weekend, but I think it is still scheduled um, just to follow up. But even Ryan Newman's uh, a few years back, I think he got released on Tuesday following his uh, incident at the Daytona 500. So Sunday to Tuesday, they walk out, you know, um, after observation and checks and everything but they walk out. And I think that's the huge takeaway. NASCAR, I'm sure, will put their time and effort into finding ways to, again, minimize and decrease the frequency of these things happening. Um, but it has been a while since we've seen, a, I think Andy used the word violent, um, not just a rollover or a flip, but a violent one like that. 
Yes, indeed. And Mike, you asked, what, should they do something? Well, uh, the answer to that is they are doing something. They're taking the car back to the R&D center. They're going to be reviewing that uh, race footage, and they're going to be looking at that accident uh, from all angles and directions to see what they can do differently. But, Jay, you bring up some excellent points uh, that that undercover on that car actually kept all the parts and pieces uh, from flying and possibly causing other damage. Uh, That tire was loose. It was obviously loose, but it stayed connected to the car. You can imagine if that tire uh, had been loose and, and flying. Uh, through the air, you don't know what it would have hit. So they, they've done some good things there, and uh, I think it shows why we need the bottom on that car um, uh, so that if there are loose parts and pieces, they're not flying all over the place. Um, but I trust that NASCAR is going to take a look at this uh, to see what they can do uh, to avoid it. Are they going to Uh, avoid it forever? Probably not, because you can't anticipate every single scenario, every single situation uh, that hasn't happened yet. Um, It has to happen in order for them to be able to study those kind of things. So um, it's unfortunate that that's the way it is, but that is the way it is. Uh, You can't anticipate uh, that that's the kind of accident that can happen. Um, we haven't seen, and, and a lot of people have said this, we haven't seen a car uh, tumble like that in a long time. So I think I think NASCAR is doing everything that they can be doing at this stage of the process. This is a process, uh, and uh, they will be coming out and telling us uh, because NASCAR said that they're going to be more transparent. Uh, I have confidence that they will tell us exactly w- uh, what they have discovered and if there is anything that they can do differently. Uh, if it's, you know, taking the grass away, then I'm sure they'll do that. But uh, let's wait and see what NASCAR's engineers and investigation uncovers uh, before we start telling them what we think. Uh, they should do without any investigation or having knowledge of the facts. So um, I, I do think that NASCAR is going to do what is necessary. And I talked about uh, Brian Blaney's car, too. Um, it, it's not going to surprise me if NASCAR isn't looking at that as well, um, because that was very reminiscent of what happened to uh, Dale Earnhardt. But you guys all said it. Uh, the wall did what the wall was supposed to do. It gave way. Uh, Ryan Blaney did walk away. Uh, a lot of times we think that hitting that barrier um, isn't a hard hit. That's still a hard hit for those drivers. And Ryan Blaney had his bell rung for sure. Um, but um, he was able to walk away from that. He was he was uh, uh, taken to the Medicare Mer- Medicare, uh, the medical center, and released. So that tells me that NASCAR did a lot of things right in that particular situation uh, that uh, Ryan Blaney was able to walk away from that. Mike, what are your thoughts? 
Well, regarding the Blaney wreck, I, I guess the short answer to uh, kind of my rhetorical question is it depends, right? Should they do something? I don't know. Uh, in years past, we've seen a lot of knee-jerk reactions when we've had incidents like this, and usually the knee-jerk reaction has been, we've got to slow the cars down. And I don't think that's really the right answer. Andy kind of hit on it in his reply that we've probably reached the minimum speed and the minimum level of control that we can put these cars at and still produce the kind of exciting racing that NASCAR fans like to watch. Yes, we could slow the cars now. We could reduce the, the frequency of these accidents and maybe the severity of them. But at a certain point, you lose what makes NASCAR appealing to fans. There is a certain level of risk and a certain level of danger and a certain level of right on the razor's edge of control. And when you take that away, you kind of lose the element of what NASCAR is. So the immediate knee-jerk reaction of let's slow the cars down, I don't believe is the appropriate response. Now, with regard to the Blaney accident, I'm really surprised that NASCAR didn't announce that they're going to take the Blaney car back to the R&D center. They may very well do so in the future. They did say they were going to take the Priest car. No word yet on whether they're going to take the Blaney car. And the reason I would say that they would want to take a look at it is remember back at Talladega, coincidentally, another Ryan Priest-related accident on the last lap at Talladega Priest hit Kyle Larson's car almost in a direct T-bone at almost full speed. Following that accident, they did some R&D work on that car, and they made several substantial changes to the front structure of the car. And I believe Ryan Blaney was a beneficiary of that when he hit the wall head-on at Daytona. I would, I would kind of expect NASCAR to want to take a look at the Blaney car and make sure that, that the changes they made – did what they were supposed to do. Did they get the desired results? Did they bend the right way, et cetera? Because I believe this is the first uh, significant front end, front end crash that we've seen since all those changes went live over this past summer. So maybe they're going to take a look at that and, and maybe make a, a determination from there. With regard to the Ryan Priest accident, um, yes, aerodynamically, they've been trying for years and years and years to try and keep these cars on the ground between roof flaps and different vents and ducts and all that to try and keep the cars on the ground. And obviously every time they think they got it, they got one blown over. Um, the one thing that I was really concerned about with the Ryan Priest accident is that roof escape hatch. If you watch that hatch goes away very early in the crash. And now the driver is exposed through that roof hatch. There's no net there. There's no anything else. Once that hatch is gone, it's basically a direct line from whatever's outside the car right down to the driver's head. I would say that's something that NASCAR should take a look at as to how that roof hatch failed, why it failed, and is there a way that they can, can, can make that more secure to where it's still going to provide protection for a driver during a, a rollover crash or some other, you know, why it exists in the first place, but still be able to be safely opened and quickly allow the driver an opportunity to get out of the car, which is why that hatch exists in the first place. Other than that, I think the car performed very, very well. You look at the, uh, the like Jay said, the majority of large parts stayed on the car. Yes, you see little bits and pieces flying off. They're kind of inconsequential stuff. But the major pieces, we would if this was a Gen 6 car or an earlier car from there, we probably would have seen an engine go in one direction, a rear-end housing going in another direction, and four different tires at, at various parts in the racetrack. We just hope they don't end up in the grandstands or in somebody's motorhome. All the major pieces stayed on that 41 car, and that's really, really great to see. I hope NASCAR can take a look at it. At the, the R&D center and the people who work on it and develop that car can have a lot of pride in seeing how well that car hold up in one of the most horrific wrecks that we've seen in the Gen 7 era. Is there room for improvement? Maybe. 
Maybe they'll find something they can make even better on the, on the, uh, in the future. But there's got to be a lot of pride in the process that for two very horrific wrecks that we saw this weekend, both drivers walked away from what could have and in the past has been fatal accidents, and both of those guys were none the worse for wear. Yes, indeed. Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, it's, every time you think that, you know, they've gotten gotten it figured out, we we see these, you know, you see a wreck like this happen. Um, but I, I do think that they've made so, so many improvements over the years that we don't really talk about these wrecks too often. And I, I think that that alone says that NASCAR has made huge strides over the years and has done a pretty good job at, at you know, at least reducing these types of accidents. But I, I just think that as long as you've got race cars, you know, traveling at a high rate of speed around a super speedway like Daytona, Talladega, you're, you're going to be prone to these types of wrecks. All you need is a little bit of air to get under the chassis, and it's going to go over. I mean, that's just unfortunately the way that it is, but I, I think that wrecks like this were far more prevalent years ago, and they're not as bad uh, nowadays, and, and that's something we have to be thankful for. And it'll probably be a long time before we see something to that extent again um i did want to touch on the grass subject i did see race hub tonight and i think larry mcreynolds brings up a really good point you know i think that if it wasn't grass back there um so make it similar to talladega which is all paved um you might have seen a completely different outcome it may have just been a spin you know or whatever the case may be um i'm not sure why the grass is back there i think you know, somebody from the Speedway would have a better answer than I do. I don't know why it's still there. It may have to do with the road course that IMSA uses for the Rolex 24 as well as other racing divisions. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I think that, you know, they may want to look at that. So if we have to pinpoint, you know, a potential direction they could go in to try to, you know, make these types of incidents better, at least specific to Daytona, maybe look at that grass. But, you know, again, I do think that we've seen a significant reduction in these types of incidents over the years, but I, I still am in disbelief looking at that replay, like just to see how many times the car went over and then how many times it went over even while in the air. It was like four foot mm-hmm. in the air alone before it hit again. So it was just just a crazy crash. I mean, I, I can tell you that it it, um, it was crazy to be there and see it live. I can tell you that much, you know, and I think that we were all, very, very happy to see Priest get out, and it, I'm hoping hoping he'll be at the track and, and racing again this weekend. Uh, Jay? Well, uh, not a whole lot to follow up on other than uh, you mentioned it. It's evolution. As the cars evolve, as, as the technology evolves, uh, NASCAR does its best to stay ahead of it, but sometimes there are things that I think Sharon mentioned it. You just can't learn until you see happen, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it was no different than when they put the uh, safer barriers in. They wanted to stay ahead of it. They've had spots where they didn't think a car could get to. Jeff Gordon and a couple others showed a car can get to this area by this. Um, so they try their best to stay ahead of it, and I think they will with this as well of what can be done differently. Um, I just thankful and, and praise the Lord that both these drivers in this case were able to walk away and, and where we've come, uh, you know, Andy mentioned being a fan for 22 years. I've been about 30. 
uh, of what we've seen the changes to where we are now versus have been. And even in the past several years, like I said, I, I don't know the exact number, how many, we go back to Ryan Newman, that crossbar that got added and changed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was addressed. So um, they're on top of it as best they can be to try and be ahead of it, but it's an everyday changing thing. Yeah, I, I, I uh, am confident that uh, NASCAR saw exactly the same things that um, uh, McReynolds saw. I can't think of his first name all of a sudden. But I'm sure um, that NASCAR saw the, the grass situation. I'm sure NASCAR saw uh, the roof flap that was missing. Um, and I'm sure that they're going to look at every one of those kind of things. Uh, and there's things that we didn't see that they are going to see and and they will be able to address. And that's the reason they take it back to the R&D center. That's the reason they look at it as closely as they do. They've done a good job. Uh, we've outlined some things that we've already seen that have been positive changes. Uh, and I trust that they will make uh, the changes that they need to make um, in order to uh, do the very best they can. Uh, and, and like you guys have said, uh, when you're racing at the kind of speeds that you race at at a super speedway, uh, and drivers have a way of finding uh, the one thing or two things um, that NASCAR can't see until it happens. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what they come up with uh, as uh, as a result of their investigation into this incident and perhaps the Ryan Blaney incident. Uh, I think uh, the Ryan Blaney incident actually did its job, uh, but I, I agree with you. I think that they should be looking at it to see if there's anything more that they can be doing. So um, uh, there's not a whole lot to add there. Mike? Just kind of to paraphrase um, Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett in the post-race show, I really like their input there. Now, remember, this was all before we really knew the word from Ryan Priest. I think the only thing that we had known at that point uh, following the accident, that he he was taken off the property to Halifax. We didn't really know anything about his condition other than that. Um, And in in that context, Dale Jarrett and Kyle Petty were talking about, we get really used to seeing accidents in racing and probably 95 to 98, maybe 99% of those accidents, everyone's okay. Not a scratch on them. And it was a bit of a shock last year when we started seeing drivers get hurt, getting concussions from accidents that they were having in this new car. So we, we get this false sense of security that we have fixed safety in motorsports. And we have fixed the issue that we've had in the past where drivers would get hurt and sometimes even killed while participating in motorsports. And Kyle Penn and Dale Jarrett really drove home the point of we haven't fixed it. We've improved it. We've mitigated it. But motorsports is always going to have a certain degree of risk and a certain degree of danger. And every once in a while, no matter how hard we try, somebody may end up getting hurt or maybe even get killed with it. We should never take safety for granted in our sport. We should be extremely grateful when innovations lead to drivers like Ryan Blaney and Ryan Priest being 
relatively uninjured from what would have been mm-hmm. horrible, horrible uh, injuries in, in years past. However, that doesn't mean we have fixed the issue and we have fixed the risk that drivers take when they, when they get into these race cars. Um, it's always going to be there, but we should be happy with the victories that we have, and I think we've got two of them this past weekend. Absolutely. And by the way, it's never going to be fixed. Uh, it is an ongoing evolution that NASCAR goes through with these things. Um, Andy, what's the next hot topic? Uh, let's see. Uh, it's going to be a crew chief swap between uh, Harrison Burton on the 21 and um, Austin Sindrick on the 2. Jeremy Bullens moves to the 21. Brian Wilson moves to the 2. And since it is 1025, Sharon, I'm going to guess you want to uh, do your normal deal. Yeah, might as well do it right now, huh? Uh, we're coming up to that time of the night when uh, we make an announcement, especially to our first-time listeners. We go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but even though we're going off the air at that time and you won't hear us, we are continuing to talk, and we are recording that part of the conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So um, what will happen is I will go out when we complete our conversation here on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to our player, either at com or iTunes or wherever you listen to our show, and fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. So, again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard and not know how to hear the rest of the conversation, and therefore we make this announcement at this part of the show. Uh, But, Jay, what are your thoughts about the crew crew chief swap? Well, this is the time of the year. Uh, You know, as we talk about silly season, I think we'll start seeing some driver announcement changes as well. But if you're not in the playoffs, you weren't good enough, uh, point blank. So you got to make improvements. Neither one of these teams made the playoffs. To making that change now, get 10 races under your belt, see if it's going to work that way, and if that's where you want to move forward into next year. If not, you may see another one through the off season. But at this point, you might as well change something because what you were doing didn't get you where you wanted to be. Um, and I think we'll see more of that um, whether it's always, always announced, not necessarily, but, uh, you know, even whether it be tire changers or anybody within the crew, uh, crew chiefs obviously being a big one normally get talked about. Uh, like I said, I anticipate seeing some more of this as the playoffs get underway. Those that are no longer eligible or involved in it, they're going to try and start making some changes for, for to finish out the year. Uh, get some good finishes, maybe even upset and take a win away from the playoff drivers, but getting ready for next year. Okay, Mike. I'm not going to say this was a surprise because, like Jay said, this this is the time of year where you start moving some pieces around and trying to find something. But to be honest with you, I hadn't seen a significant difference in the performance of the two and the 22. By or, uh, The 21, not the 22. Um, by and large, They've been lousy this year. Both of those teams missed the playoffs by a lot, um, especially the 21 team. They were never in contention. They led a few laps at Talladega and a few laps at Daytona. But other than that, that, that 21 car was never up front at any point during the year. Uh, the two car was not substantially better. They had a, a couple 
few bright flashes. So I don't know that there was any significant issues on pit road because then again, we don't see a lot of them because they're running in the back so much. They don't get featured on TV. We're not watching their pit stops. We don't see a whole lot. So maybe team Penske did see something in the pit crews that merited some things getting swapped around. And it may just be that they, uh, they're looking for that little bit of chemistry change. Remember last year going into the playoffs, there was a change between uh, Bubba Wallace's pit crew um, that then it was the number 45 when, uh, when Bubba was driving and Christopher Bell's crew. They basically swapped the two pit crews and everyone was thinking that the Bubba Wallace crew has been terrible through the years. They, 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 they cost that 23 car and then the 45 car so many positions on pit road that this was just going to torpedo Christopher Bell's chances in the playoffs. And I don't know what it was, some sort of intangible thing clicked, and both of those teams, both Christopher Bell in the 20 team, as well as Bubba Wallace in the 45 team, they both performed substantially better just because of that crew chief swap. So maybe that's kind of some of the magic the team Penske is trying to go for here, because I really don't have any other reason to point out and say, yeah, that's probably why they made that change. Yeah, I will say that um... – uh, this is a reunion, if you will, with Brian Wilson and Austin Sendrick. Wilson was with uh, Austin Sendrick when he won the NASCAR Xfinity Series title in 2020. So they're putting him back with Sendrick, if you will, uh, and Bullens is going to go uh, from Sendrick over to Harrison Ford's, Harrison Ford, Harrison Burton's uh, number 21 Wood Brothers car. So uh, they obviously had something in 2020 together when Cindric won that championship in the Xfinity Series, and maybe they're re- they're looking to kind of rediscover that and uh, get that back for Cindric uh, as he's now in the Cup Series. So that's something that um, uh, I think needs to be considered here as well. Uh, sometimes that crew chief swap does make a big difference, and uh, it it may it's that like you say that intangible thing that happens, uh, whether it be chemistry or whatever, uh, that they've discovered by just putting up uh, drivers with a different uh, crew chief uh, can make all the difference in the world. But uh, I don't. I just wanted to remind everybody that Wilson, Brian Wilson and Austin Sindrick were together when he won that Xfinity Series championship. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good point there, Sharon, about Brian Wilson. Obviously, um, he and Sindrick had quite a bit of success together in the Xfinity Series, won several races, including that championship. Um, You know, and if you look at the overall performance of both those teams, they've been – They've been off this year. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I think, you know, in the case of Team Penske, you know, they've, if you look at the the 12 and the 22, they've been pretty solid this year, Um, you know, but the two just hasn't been with his teammates. He's struggled a lot. And and the 21 is pretty much a fourth Penske car, really, if if you analyze it. So if you look at those two cars, they needed something to happen. They needed a change. Um, you know, so I can see why they they made this change to, to flip-flop things around. Um, if I had to look at it, I would say this may benefit Cindric more so than Burden, just because he already has that working relationship with Brian Wilson and they've had success together in the past. Um, but, you know, maybe 
maybe Jeremy Bowens can can turn out to be a better fit for for Burton. You never know. So, um, but yeah, it's that time of the year where you have to start building for next year. If you're not in the playoffs, then you have nothing else to do except try to win races and improve your points position. But first and foremost, you need to work on your stuff to get better because, you know, if you're not in the playoffs, then you need to try to make the playoffs the following year. So, um, yeah, but, but at the end of the day, something needed to change for the two and the 21. They just weren't at the same level as their teammates, and, and something had to happen for sure. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, you even take away the, the lackluster results of, of this, the two teams. Um, we've seen this this before in the past. Of You get complacent. Even when you're winning and just not winning as much, uh, you know, you can't just, once you've hit a certain level, say, okay, we're going to stop here. You know, we've seen that organizations like Hendrick Motorsports, uh, Stuart Haas Racing, I don't know so much at Joe Gibbs Racing, but there's been a couple where even under winning organizations, they change around the crew chiefs just to change it up so that there isn't complacency. you got to go back to work with a new crew chief and whatever. Now, when it comes to driver-crew chief communication, we talk about that a lot. There's always that certain chemistry. I know Grant Infringer talked about it so much in his interview of the trust you have in the crew chief. So if that isn't there and you're not getting the results, obviously you want to change it to improve it. But And I think back, I think it was Penske when they made the change with uh, Paul Wolf and I can't remember who else involved between Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. Uh, that was one everybody questioned uh, of why. And some of that is, is of just improve the entire organization, not just uh, one team or find that fit. It's improve the entire organization. So... Uh, no better time to do it than now. Uh, like I said, uh, you, you still have the chance for uh, 10 races, but you're not in the playoffs. You're no longer eligible to work your way in. Make improvements. Make changes. Try something different. Uh, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, that's called insanity. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Mike? Oh, so Jay mentions insanity, and you got to go to me. Is that how that goes here? I see how it is. <laughs> No, um, it's gonna it's wait and see, right? Uh, obviously, the two and the twenty-one have been very off the pace when compared to not just their team Penske teammates, but Ford as well. Uh, particularly RFK. I don't know if we want to talk about that in a little bit or not, but RFK has been the success story of the summer for sure, and it has really highlighted uh, the deficiencies at some of the other teams uh, within the Ford umbrella. Um, at Stuart Haas, half a Stuart Haas and half a team Penske have been really highlighted in a negative way by the performance of some of their Ford peers that have figured it out, and then these other teams that supposedly all share data have not figured it out. So there's something else going on there, and now start moving some pieces around and trying to figure out what it's going to take in order to get onto the pace with their Ford partners. I don't know if the crew chief swap is going to do it. It's probably with how far off the pace the two and the 21 have been, it will probably be more than just a crew chief swap in order to get them back competitive and in a position to start winning races. But like Jay said, you've got to start somewhere and this might as well be a good place to start from and a good time to do it. So I'm anxious to see how this works out. I hope it works out well for them, but we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too, Mike. I, I want to wait and see what happens now uh, with this change. And, and um, 
sometimes these things work out really well. I, I tend to agree with, uh, I don't know if Jay or who said this, but um, I, I tend to think the, the one that's going to come out on the better side of this deal is uh, Austin Cendrick because of the previous relationship. Maybe it was you, Andy. Um, but uh, I do want to see what happens now and see if Jeremy Bowens can help uh, Harrison Burton. Um, Harrison's been successful at all the different levels of racing that he's been at up until now. Uh, and I think that one, it's a it's a steep learning curve coming into the Cup Series. Uh, but two, you've got to find that right chemistry. And uh, this could be, as uh, Mike alludes to, just the, one of the many things that they're doing within their organization to make changes to help both of those teams. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I don't really have any follow-up to this, but, um, you know, obviously – um, team management at Penske feels like this is going to be a solid change. And, you know, I'll be certainly curious to see, you know, if, if either of those teams is able to make some improvements in, in closing out the season. All right. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the next hot topic. And, Jay, you get to uh, tell us what topics that will be. Well, I know we got a lot of them up there, so I'm going to pick the one I like and wanted to talk about, and that's college racing, the number 31. Uh, it said uh, Chris Rice was on Sirius XM Radio and made, made the statement that they 31 is all but set. They aren't announcing the driver yet, but it could be a surprise. So who do we think that surprise is in the number 31 college racing? All right, Mike. Uh, I have a good I have it on good authority. I have the text messages. Trust me, bro. It's going to be Chris Rice in the number 31 car. And the reason they're doing that is because they realized how hard Andy had to work to turn his head from one side to the other to boo the car as it went by, but then to turn back towards the pit box to boo Chris Rice. So by putting Chris Rice in the car, it saves Andy so much time and effort and really consolidates his booing in one uh, one economical direction from there. So Chris Rice to the number 31, I have the text. Uh, other than that, I don't know. I mean, they said it's going to be a surprise. Shane Van Gisbergen, obviously, his, his name's been kicked around a whole lot. I would be really, really shocked to see him go into a full-time NASCAR Cup Series car. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, especially if he brings a big pile of money to the table. Anything can happen. But my guess for Shane Van Gisbergen is he's probably going to do a full-time colleague Xfinity series car with select starts in the cup series and either a colleague or a track house car to gear up for a full-time season in the NASCAR cup series, probably for 2025, something like that. That would be my guess for Shane Van Gisbergen. Noah Gregson is a recently released free agent. I don't know that he's got the resume strong enough to, to really merit going into another cup series ride. However, he does have a lot of sponsorship behind him, so maybe Matt Colleague is tired of putting leaf filter on the side of all his cars all the time, and he wants to bring some additional sponsorship in. Noah Gregson may be the way to cover that. As far as other drivers there, uh, you've got a couple Colleague drivers in the Xfinity Series and Daniel Hemrick and Chandler Smith. Daniel Hemrick, yes, he's a former Xfinity Series champion. Uh, he tends to run towards the front but never at the front, and that's probably the big problem with Daniel Hemrick is – 
he tends to find ways to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory on a regular basis, and that's always been kind of a, the downside to Daniel Hemrick. Chandler Smith has shown a lot of promise in that Xfinity series, but I don't think he's necessarily ready for the Cup series quite yet. Uh, a little bit more development, I think he would do very, very well. However, moving a driver up, we just got done talking about a driver who was likely moved up into the Cup Series too early in Harrison Burton, and we've seen the consequences from that. So moving Chandler Smith into the Cup Series already for the 2024 season, it may be a step too far, and it may end up actually hurting the development of Chandler Smith from there. Other than that, we really got the bingo machine of names. There's not a whole lot of free agents coming out of rides in the Cup Series, at least not that we know of. So I don't think it's going to be a driver that we see currently driving another car in the Cup Series moving into that Colleague 31. But beyond that, it's going to be wide open from there. Uh, we'll have to just wait and see what, uh, what happens. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? It's really – well, first off, Mike, yeah, that's a fair assessment, of course, with, with uh, Chris Rice going into the car. It would save me a lot of effort. So for that, I'm grateful. But um, as far as, like, it's, it's really hard for me to guess who, who they're going to put in there. When they say that it could surprise some people, you know, you have to wonder if they're going to run the car maybe full-time but do it with multiple drivers, you know, which may include a part-time schedule for SVG, but – I've all I've kind of gotten the impression that if SVG does run a limited cup schedule, that it would probably be in a track house car. Um, so it's really hard to say. Noah Gregson would make some sense from the standpoint of he does have sponsorship from several different partners that he could bring to that team and help fund that team. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me. That's probably my best guess right now. Um, but it's it's really, I guess, hard to say you know, what direction they're going to go. And honestly, them releasing Justin Haley was a bit of a head-scratcher just because of how long he's been at that team. So it's really hard to say, but um, I don't I, I don't know. We'll, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, Andy. It's hard to say who, who it might be. They say it could be a surprise to, to some, uh, maybe not a surprise to others. Um but uh, we're not going to know until they make an official announcement. So it's it's really kind of tough to speculate on this one. Um, I mean, we could pull a bunch of names out of the hat uh, and say there are, there are possibilities uh, for for uh, that ride. Um, I, I'm just going to wait and see who they do announce before I speculate on who it's going to be. Jay. Well, I really do think it's going to be Noah Gregson. I anticipated him actually going to that team um, back when Gregson was going to move up, and I expected Justin Haley maybe to get bumped then, or A.J. Allmendinger to step out, as that was never his intent to actually be the full-time driver. I know he agreed to it, and uh, you know, as a whole, he's having fun, if you will, um, trophy hunting, but I think they want to look for that annual uh, – full-time team uh, championship contender. And I know uh, AJ has come close, and I'm not saying no Gregson would step in and be a championship contender by any means um, in one year. But I look at what we, when we discussed Noah Gregson's departure from Legacy Motor Club, obviously there was something that sparked it, but we kind of saw it coming. Uh, and I think that has to do with the Toyota Chevy deal. And I think this is going to be a homecoming for Noah Gregson as far as to the Chevy team. Now, I know that they also have uh, Chandler Smith 
his name got brought up as far as in their pipeline in the Xfinity series. And I'm with that same assertion that uh, I think it might be a little early. However, uh, there's been ones in the past where we've seen it pan out of moving somebody up uh, sooner rather than later so that they don't get away, if you will. Um, the one that comes to my mind, but ironically is going to be in a Toyota this weekend, is Carson Hosevar. And I know he hasn't gone through the Xfinity full-time, but in the starts he's had, he's been really successful already running within the top 10. And with the Cup Series starts he's been getting, I think that may be one of, especially if they're talking full bore surprise, that we see go directly from the trucks to the Cup Series. Okay, Mike. Well, Jay kind of stole my follow-up here. I, I didn't mention him in my first reply, but yeah, Carson Hosevar is another name that has been kicked around in a lot of different places. Uh, currently a Chevy driver and has mostly done Chevy appearances for his driving in the Xfinity and the Cup Series. But just because he drives a Chevy now, I'm not sure what his contractual obligations are going forward into the future, whether uh, another team would want to buy him out or not. But Carson Osovar is, at least by all appearances, still property of Chevrolet Motorsports. So he could very well end up in that car. I don't know that I would even call it a surprise, like Chris Rice is trying to, to, to play it up to be. Um, I don't know that you really need to do a Xfinity Series tour in addition to uh, the trucks. If you're successful in the trucks, I think you would have just as much success in the Cup Series than if you had done another year or two in Xfinity before moving into the Cup Series. I don't think that there's that much of a difference in terms of skill displayed in the Xfinity Series to benefit somebody who may be ready for Cup. I don't know that Carson Hosevar is ready for Cup, though, is the big question. Yes, he's, he's had a bit of a, a breakout season this year in the, in the truck series, but only a bit of a breakout season. He's done well, but I don't think he's, he's reached a level of dominance to say, yeah, that guy's ready for Cup right now. Plug him in. He's ready to go, um, especially in a mid-pack car like the uh, colleague number 31. I see it at best case scenario for Carson Hosevar taking a season or two to get his feet underneath him as the team also builds around him. And then maybe the 2026 or 2027 season is when we see Carson Hosevar finally come into his own and, and be competitive in the NASCAR cup series. And that's a long time from now. And it's a lot of money to spend between now and then on a guy who's, I don't even know he's a proven prospect from the, from the truck series, let alone ready to get plugged into the cup series. So we're just going to have to wait and see from there. Okay, Andy. Yeah, Hosevar would be another, you know, good guess for sure as as a prospect that's been linked to Cup teams. However, um, from what I've been seeing, he is heavily linked to the '77 Spire car for next year. So it seems like that may be where he's headed. So that leads me to think that, you know, that to me would be more plausible than the '31 car, but. Um, I do think Hosevar is on a lot of people's radars um, for moving up and out of the truck series. Um, it has been a bit of a breakout year. I think that he has shown that he can win races and he has started to reduce some of the silly mistakes that he's made on the racetrack. And I think that maturity and, and performance improvement um to me means that he is ready to make the jump out of the truck series, you know, moving into cup 
is that a mistake or not? I don't know. He's run one cup race at Gateway, and he did a really good job, actually, until the brake rotor exploded. So um, probably would have to see, um, you know, what he can do. Um, you know, of course, he'll be driving this weekend. I don't know if we want to make that a separate topic or not. But um, but but Josevar to the Cup Series, yeah, I think it's going to happen. In the 31 card, no. Um, I so that that kind of leads me in the, the Noah Gregson direction, but um, kind of don't have a really good guess, and it honestly could be somebody that we're not even really looking at. Yeah, I would agree. It's almost impossible, I think, to to really put your your finger on it. Um, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's all I can really say. Jay, you get the final word here. Well, I really thought Mike was going to return the favor and steal my second part of Thunder, and, and that's one that, although maybe from another manufacturer again, of is Zane Smith. As we had heard that name linked to a couple of different teams, he did kind of get shuffled out as Front Row Motorsports went to uh, committing to Todd Gillen and Michael McDowell full-time, which left Zane Smith there without the ride. He does still have the option to return to the trucks, but he is obviously looking to move uh, forward or beyond that, if you will. So uh, hasn't agreed to that yet, but that they made it uh, known that that was available for him to return to the truck series. Um, so that's one I think too might be that kind of, as Chris Rice put it, a surprise because we haven't seen him a lot in the Xfinity or Cup Series. I think he had five starts for uh, Front Row Motorsports this year. But again, what the races we've seen them in have been pretty solid. Um, some of the finishes weren't necessarily indicative of anything of his doing, um, of not getting the results. So I think those are the two, to me anyway, the two top leading candidates. Okay. So uh, let's see. We've got about 10 minutes. Uh, Mike, is there a quick one you think we can touch on? Yeah, there's probably one we could get away with just doing one round around the table since it's not really breaking news. But this week, Kurt Busch announced that he is officially retiring from NASCAR Cup Series competition. He had previously said that he was hoping to eventually get cleared, probably not to come back to as a full-time driver, but maybe to do a couple one-off farewell tour kind of races. But unfortunately, it looks like he's not going to get the medical clearance that maybe he was looking for. And Kurt has officially announced his retirement from the NASCAR Cup Series. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Um, kind of a depressing end to a Hall of Fame career, really. Um, you know, obviously <clears throat> injured in that practice crash last year, and he never came back from that. So it's it's really disappointing to see the career of somebody really good like Kurt Busch, you know, have to go out this way. But um you know, certainly have to appreciate the career that he did have in which he became a Cup Series champion, won big races, won a lot of races, um, you know, and turned himself into having the Hall of Fame career that he did. So certainly grateful for that. But you hate to see somebody of that caliber um, go out, you know, this way where it it ended abruptly and, and really not under his own conditions. I, for one, had hoped to see him come back and at least run some, maybe some marquee events, you know, like a handful of races in in a bit of a retirement tour, but um, obviously he's not physically able to do that. And I think that's probably 
you know, even though it's disappointing, that's probably the key here is that, you know, Kurt needs to do what's best for his own health and, and making sure that he doesn't uh, further injure himself. And if that's what it means in which he won't race again, then, then so be it. So obviously the right decision. Um, you just hate to see his career end under these circumstances, but um, certainly a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. Um, you know, somebody that has um, done a lot for the sport and, and we'll, we'll miss him for sure. Jay, your thoughts. Yep. What was that? Jay, All right, are you sorry, there? I'd, I'd, yeah, well, I'm here. I'm transitioning within the house, and I turned the light out already when you went to me, so I wasn't quite prepared. But uh, this is one, unfortunately, based on the lack of updates we had been getting, uh, I kind of felt was coming. Um, as Andy said, it's sad to see it happen this way, not on a driver's term under the best of conditions. However, I was impressed with Kurt Busch and the maturity. Uh, you know, again, having been a race fan for a long time, we have seen that transition in Kurt Busch. And he is one that brings so much to any team he has been with, and he's still going to maintain the role as advisor, uh, working with Tyler Reddick and Bubba Wallace and Monster Energy. And I know he talked about that, of things he's doing for them. Um, when he talked about the latest uh, medical update, he had gotten tests or whatever he had gone through. Uh, it, was, it wasn't progressing as well as he had thought. He said this is the time of the year that everybody's looking forward to next year, whether it be sponsorship deals, driver deals, and all that. And he said at this point he can't say he can give 110% for nine months, which is what it takes for a full-time driver. Um, and he didn't want to take away from that. So, he, you know, it was his decision. He may still get clearance to go back to racing, even at the cup level, but he didn't want to take that away from the team. Um, I just thought it was extremely mature and, and insightful on his part. And, again, the dedication, he says, he wants to be involved with that team as well as Monster Energy and a lot of the different things they're doing. I don't think we're going to see him disappear from NASCAR um, or from the Cup Series, for that matter. So uh, I appreciate that, uh, that, that he's one that we're going to see stay involved and give back to the racing world, which has given him so much. Yes, I agree with you. One thing that uh, uh, made me um, feel really good uh, about all of this, because like you guys say, it's kind of sad to see his career end in this way. Uh, but at the driver's meeting, when all the drivers stood up and gave him a standing ovation, um, I think he was taken back by that and a little overwhelmed. Uh, and I I, uh, I do think about his maturity over the years. We've seen a lot of uh, different sides of uh, Kurt Busch. But Kurt Busch is, is one of those guys, he's raced for a lot of different teams. Uh, because of his uh, growth progression, if you will. But in every single team he's worked for, he's made that organization better. And uh, that's something uh, that a lot of um, uh, drivers cannot say. I agree with you. I think he's a future Hall of Fame driver um, and uh, deservedly so. Uh, even though he did have some challenging times in NASCAR, he came through it all uh, in better shape. Um, 
And, and you're right, Jay. I don't think we're seeing the last of Kurt Busch. He wants to be involved in the sport uh, through Monster Energy, through track house racing, and doing everything that he can to support that organization. So we will still see uh, Kurt Busch around the racetrack and uh, his involvement within that organization. Um, and, and like you said, uh, it's possible if he does get clearance somewhere down the road here, maybe he will still do a one-off race like we've seen Jimmy Johnson do and some of the other drivers. So Dale Earnhardt uh, has been doing that. So it's still possible that we'll see him race. Uh, it's an outside possibility, I think, at this point, but it's still possible. Um, but Kurt Kyle Bush or Kurt Bush um, um, deserves um, the standing ovation that he got from the drivers, and I think it was pretty spontaneous. And like I say, a little overwhelming for him when it happened. Mike, your thoughts? Uh, what a wild ride the arc of Kurt Busch has been from, from where he started in the early 2000s. Um, he got, he was so bad, you know, such, such a black hat heel that people were taking Jimmy Spencer's side versus Kurt Busch. Um, he fired from several different organizations, top level organizations at that Roush and Penske, simply not because of his driving skill. He was always a very, very good race car driver, but he was one of those guys where his attitude and his demeanor overrode his driving ability a few times and it cost him some opportunities and probably several wins if not a championship because of some of those those peak times of his career in terms of of driver potential he was spending those times in very lackluster equipment because he had stepped on so many toes he couldn't get himself a good ride he ended up rebuilding his career and became really an elder statesman within the sport respected by just about everybody myself included and it's, it's a real shame to see it go out like this. But at the same time, Kurt is right to think about his health first, especially with a head injury like he had for, for his final injury. It's one of those deals where he may be better and, and healed up from it. But I'm no neurologist, but my understanding of the situation is once you have a head injury like that, your likelihood of getting another one or a worse one is much, much greater than it was prior to you receiving that injury. So Kurt would always have that hanging over his head of if he gets involved in another hard crash, he could have a life-changing injury just because he decided to get back in the race car. He's also said that he suffers from arthritis and gout, uh, partially because mm-hmm. of his time in racing and some of the, the incidents that he's had on the track. So I've got to applaud Kurt for having the maturity and discipline to, to say, this is it, I'm stepping away. I would like to see him back, maybe a, a one-off, farewell kind of ride at some point i don't know when or where um my selfishness would like to see kurt back in the car one more time but then again i would definitely don't want to see kurt injured uh Mm -hmm. certainly a deserving hall of fame type uh, career for kurt bush and i wish him the very very best and i hope he's successful at 2311 in the future okay well said uh okay it's that time of the night for our round table so andy let's uh, start with you uh, yeah, CB14 fan on uh, Twitter, and uh, it's always good to be back on the show. Enjoyed it. And um, I believe, having just checked my work schedule a few minutes ago, I won't be on Thursday due to work, but uh, we will look to return next week. Oh, okay, thanks for letting us know. And uh, we always enjoy having you when you are available, Andy. Mike? 
can be Mike underscore Ozell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Good to be back. TBD for me on Thursday. I like talking to y'all. So if it's not this coming Thursday, I look forward to the next time it's going to be. Okay. Thanks again. Uh, and uh, again, we always enjoy having you here. Jay. Well, I'm going to reiterate that. It was nice to have you on tonight, Mike. Uh, it's just not the same when I have to represent you and then argue with myself uh, when you're not here. So uh, it gets a little awkward. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I will be back with Sharon here on Thursday for the preview show for the weekend. Uh, I believe we're doing that as a podcast again this week. So look forward to that and look forward to the start of the Cup Series playoffs. Yes, indeed. I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, uh, fanforracing.com. Uh, we had an article this week from um, Brian Everly uh, with a, is kind of a feature article on Austin Sindrick uh, going for his seventh consecutive playoff uh, berth. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, but it was kind of nice thinking about that uh, uh, for Austin Sendrick. Um and and he has a win at Daytona, so it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. Um, I too am looking forward to the races at Darlington this weekend, as well as uh, the ARCA race uh, that's taking place this weekend as well. And um, I I, uh, I think that. Uh, We've got a lot to look forward to as the season winds down for the Cup, uh, for the Xfinity Series, and now both the Truck Series and the Cup Series being uh, into their playoff rounds. Uh, I think we're in for a lot of surprises uh, on this ride, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate you. Uh, for tuning in and to our fan for racing crew here it's always fun having all of you on the show as well as tommy when he's able to make it and brian uh i think brian will probably be here on thursday uh and uh, be able to be on the show with us for our hot topic sound off segment so uh with that guys i think we're ready to call it a night and uh we'll look forward to doing it again on thursday good night everybody Good night. Good night. We'll see you on Thursday, and good night, everybody. Okay.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.